0: Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to Episode 7 of Retro Hangover.
1: We are coming to you over the sweet sweet kilobits and megabits of the streaming service going into your ear holes currently. I have no alliteration for you, so I'll just get to the point. I'm Chris Copeland ah, on July twelfth for episode seven. And I'm here today with slaughtering Shane Kosky. Oh, we got one out of it. That's <laughs> I guess I'll take that. That's better than nothing. I'm just I'm no I'm just tired of the alliterations. I can't think of it on the fly. I have like all these good ideas leading up until the week, and then I get here. And I I can't think of it anymore.
0: Clearly, this just means you need to start including it in our show notes. I need to write these down. Yeah. Alliterations. That's important. It's important. Gotta keep the theme going. Well, I mean, you've set a precedent now, so now you're just gonna disappoint people. Mostly me. But I'll, I'll come back with some
1: awesome alliteration. I won't, I won't mm. fall to failure <laughs> and sink to sucking. Oh, okay, see? You're starting to redeem yourself now. A little. Maybe. I'll pick up the pace. Mm. I'll bring more
0: beers. I like that one. That's nice. a good one. So, uh, I, you know what? I'm going to change it up this week. I'm going to ask you first. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I figured, you know, you deserve it occasionally. So, uh, so what have you been up to this week, Chris? Hmm. Uh, working, like usual. I feel like I'm going to say this all the time. We, we all know
1: that I work. Um, I think. <laughs> But that's good because I'll be going on somewhat a vacation, a stay home vacation, not next uh, week. Ah, yes, the the coveted staycation. Staycation. I think that's all I do when I take <laughs> vacation. Is staycations. I just relaxing. I don't like. I don't like leaving home. Um, but uh, that's in that's in a couple weeks. But uh, past past week's been really really busy. Uh, work's been pretty slammed. It's when kind of like you're the only guy there. I mean, I'm not, but uh, I'm pretty much the high man on totem pole for a little bit. Uh. In terms of what I do, hashtag humble brag, humble humble brag. <laughs> if, if you didn't know, I'm kind of a big
0: deal, uh, but I'm really not. Uh, um, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. God, what's that from? I know, I've heard that before. Uh, that's from Anchorman. Ah, yes, yes, the, um, the good one,
1: the first one. Yes. All right, just making sure. So, but you know, a little bit of game time I can get there. I did. Uh, mostly I played Final Fantasy
0: Record Keeper. Really? <laughs> Is that a I'm shock? I'm so surprised. Is that a shock? That um, might have been the last thing I would have thought you'd said. I, I've
1: actually started doing more of the actual dungeons and stuff like that. Uh, you got to
0: get those stamina shards, brah.
1: Stamina shards? You have to. Yeah. I'm up to like only 72 or something like that. I mean, I'm really low. I'm at, like, 74. You're not that far off. Not that far. I really leveled up my Final Fantasy four characters at this week's event. Mm-hmm. Not really leveled up, but got some them, some heavy experience points. That's that's my favorite Final Fantasy, so I love doing that kind of stuff. Uh, but other than that, I've been playing Final Fantasy Type-0 HD, which I still want to keep calling Final Fantasy thirteen Agito or Agito thirteen. I don't know why. Uh, it's just what it was I called before it was either. released. Okay. Well, yeah, up to its release, it was called that until it was ter- called... Uh, Type Zero. <clears throat> so I keep on getting confused because in the game they keep on saying the word Agito. And I can tell you, if it wasn't for the fact that uh, I'm one of those guys that once I start playing a game, I have to finish it. I don't know if I said this last week. I can't remember. I think I did. You did. I did. Uh, I wouldn't be playing this game.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm now, going now it to the just point. sounds like it's becoming a chore. Now it
1: is. It is a chore. It's, it's a torment. It's not that it's terrible. It's just it's. There's just so many. Small problems that add up to a bigger problem. I know I touched, I did touch on that last week, and I'll just leave that as it is. Um, but I think I'm starting to get better at some of the mechanics of it, though. But it's there's still too many issues. And I also got uh, Mega Man Nine and Ten on my PS3. They came bundled for six dollars, and if you have PS hmm. Plus, it's four fifty. So I made sure to pick that up. Um, I don't have PS Plus, so it did cost me six dollars, and. I played a little bit of Mega Man 9 and it's hard as balls Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a lot harder than the older Mega Mans I never understood people that said the older Mega Mans were hard or like really hard I mean they're difficult but they're manageable like Final Fantasy not Final fuck Mega Man (laughs) Final Fuck Final Fuck Man uh, Mega Man, Mega Man
0: Nine is just <laughs> that, that. Why have we not had a Mega Man villain yet called that Fuck Man? Yeah, I mean we've exhausted all the other opportunities, so why not Fuck Man? It's just a giant dildo. You know, I don't know whether I should be impressed or frightened that that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> Milk Rain would be oh his ability. God. <laughs> Uh, all right, <laughs> you gotta keep some now, censorship in there. Now, now that we've <laughs> we've pushed past the line of decency, <sighs> and we're only like five minutes into the episode, yeah,
1: we've already, impressive. We've already crossed the line. This might be a record. I like it. So, as I use my milk rain shot, I will say that <laughs> final <laughs> fuck again. Um, <laughs> Mega Man Nine. I don't want to say Final Fantasy Nine so badly. Uh, Mega Man Nine. I played one stage, and I uh, been I made it through, and I took care of it. But I actually experienced difficulty in a Mega Man game that wasn't like a Wily stage, and that that made me happy, mm-hmm. I guess. But other than that, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it in terms of video games. But you know, life's been pretty good. Uh, been doing a lot of running, and running's good. Running's fun. It's just made me tired as hell when I get home. I'm just ready
0: to crash and watch more Dragon Ball. I'm pretty sure you can gamify that, too. Isn't there, like, an app for your phone with, like, a it's like a zombie run or something that helps you with your runs? I mean, I,
1: I track it my Fitbit. Mm. I,
0: that that does motivate me. I want to see how
1: high I can get my counter every day. But... I mean, but your Fitbit doesn't have zombies. No, not So doesn't. there is that. I might need to look that up. I mean, I can gamify that. But I've been running with my phone lately, because I forget my strap of my arm. Mm. For my arm. Yeah. So I've been running in silence, which sucks. But, hey, I get really sweaty, and my clothes smell bad and I have to wash them.
0: That is the coolest of stories, bro. I know. <laughs> uh, so... How about yourself, Shane? How is oh, well, your thank video you. game experience going? Are you ready to give me back my Final Fantasy VII? No, I'm not. Oh. No. Uh, <clears throat> no, uh, I've been playing more of that, yes. Uh, I think right now I... Well, as I mentioned uh, before we started recording, uh, I am right at the point where should I, you know what, this game's old enough whatever, screw it. Mm. I, I'm, I'm not even worried about spoilers. But uh, I'm at the point where Tifa seems to be like on the cusp of being sold into some sort of weird like sex slavery or something. So I like just got to that point. So I think that's like sector seven, I think. So still not super far. I haven't had a bunch of time to sit down and play that one, but um, slowly working my way through that. I have been making some pretty good progress in Legend of Grimrock 2. It's, comparatively to the first game especially, it's huge. Actually, to the point where, uh, at least for me, I actually get to a a certain stage where I'm just like, I'm I'm actually a little overwhelmed by just how much space I need to cover. It's like the difference between Diablo 1 and 2. Yeah, actually that's a really good comparison. Yeah, because the first one, much like the first Diablo, was like a straight-up dungeon crawl. And then the second one incorporates a ton of open world that wasn't there before. Which is not a bad thing, it's just something to adjust to. And like I said, I, I get to a point where there are so many... Because it's very... They don't really hold your hand, so it's like really open. And I then kind of tend to get a little, like, lost. Like, I'm not sure where I should go next, or if I'm going to a place that I shouldn't be going. And you instantly get slaughtered. That has only happened once. Well, that's that's good. And I'm not sure that it was because I went somewhere I wasn't supposed to. I just don't think... Like, up until that point, all the enemies had been really easy. Mm. And then I hit, of all things, a giant crab... (laughs) And that was well, two of them actually. But that and that was the point where suddenly things got like difficult. It's the mighty heroes of yore that got slaughtered by the giant crab. That's true. Death by crab, bubbles. I mean, bubbles. Oh, okay, that was the name. I say there weren't any actual bubbles. There were very large pincers, though, and they attack very fast, and that doesn't help. Pincers of slaying. Yes, plus three, one d twelve. The best. But uh, once I actually put some strategy into my <laughs> into my approach to that one, I, uh, I made it through that and um, have progressed onward but yeah, I stopped the last time I stopped playing it was actually because I was just like kind of overwhelmed because I was like I, I have no idea where I'm supposed to go next. So I'll tackle that one again. Um, other than that, mobile stuff when I can I'm still doing the record keeper thing that light in the darkness event has started again so if you mm. didn't get those characters the first time around which I think that one is both versions of Cecil right So yeah and you get like a growth egg if you already have both of them yeah yeah. so I've been working through that so I can get to the elite dungeons so that I can get the memory crystals for both of those for dark Cecil and paladin Cecil so that I can unlock those I think it's those. Cecil I think it's actually pronounced Cecil I I originally pronounced it Cecil and I think somebody corrected me. It might be Cecil. I think you can say it either way. Yeah, it's kind of like the Aerith Aeris thing.
1: Well I mean kind it's still of. spelled the same. It's more a pronunciation. I mean
0: I said kind of.
1: It's more like titus titus. Yeah, that's true. Isn't it supposed to be Titus? It is supposed to be Titus,
0: but Titus sounds better. Yeah, it also just looks like Titus.
1: And it kind of stays with the elemental thing that they had going from cloud and squall and lightning, mm. and then you have Titus, like a tidal wave. Yes, but you call him Titus, and it's just Teats. and teets are tedious. Mm. Tedious teeth. Tedious. I don't teats. think there is such a thing. Well, I mean, if they're very, very, you know, large. I'd, they can be I'm rather still t- not t-
0: no I no I'm still not following that one
1: no no problem. well for 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 the people who carry them they may be but oh, that's yeah, they true. may be very tedious well that's and tiresome I mean for us no that's, that's
0: not my <laughs> point of view oh man we are we're getting way off track today already I like this it's good. We're gonna get
1: so many hate comments. Which is actually not bad because it'd be some comments. I love that. That is that's true. Uh, by the way, uh, thank you all that have liked our Facebook page. We're I think we're well over forty now. Yep. Um, yeah. Which is really good for for you know the kind of uh, coverage we got and, and and out there we're not a major anything even like a channel or anything. So thank you for liking the Facebook page this week. That being said, let's get to our stories of the week and talk about what's on tap.
0: I think what we we got first up on the docket here, um, talking about uh, Ubisoft, which, by the way, is another one that is a weird pronunciation. I always thought it was Ubisoft. It's actually Ubisoft. Who cares? They're French. I don't agree with that one, but it is what it is. So uh, according to some reports as of late, Ubisoft uh, is killing it. Yeah. Killing it on the PS4. Not total sales, but the PS4, yeah, they're killing it. Yeah, it's actually quite a significant portion of their revenue. Um, What does it say, about roughly 27% of uh, the revenue from all of Ubisoft's games right now is coming from PS4, which is closely followed by PC at about 23%, and then everything else just kind of drops off from there, with, of course, the Wii and Wii U being somewhere near the very bottom, as I suppose would be expected. 3%. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, that's just a kind of interesting little tidbit of info there for for them now one thing that and i know that ubisoft has some pc specific titles but one thing that does sort of like strike me as interesting about that is how much of their revenue comes from pc when historically a lot of ubisoft's ports to pc have been god awful i mean they're not as bad as warner brothers though uh, you know, they're really
1: contending for a title there. I mean, on the, bright, on the bright side of Ubisoft, when it's a bad PC port, typically it's buggy as hell for the consoles, too. So they can, they're they platform consistent. I don't know if that's a good thing. I mean, it's not a good thing, but at least they put the same effort into all of their products. <laughs> or, or, or lack thereof, yes. Okay. I suppose um, we could go with that. Some of the things that jump out at me about this report is that the Xbox One and Xbox 360 for Ubisoft are contributing the same amount towards their revenue. And the PlayStation 3 is is still contributing the same amount of the revenue for the 360. So we're still looking at last gen almost two years now. It's t- yeah, two years. Yeah. Um, it's still contributing 22% into a third party's uh, revenue stream, which I don't know if is is a good thing. Uh, we've, we've touched on the last gen... Thing and the current gen thing a bunch. Um, but for, for a third party platform, because all the games that they're releasing are pretty much the same across all, for them to still be taking 22% is very interesting. I think it's actually not interesting that the Wii and Wii U are that low, just because I don't think they've released anything for them over the past year. They've, they've mm-hmm. pretty much stopped.
0: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> if anything, and of course, this is just a snapshot, you know, but I suppose if you really wanted to, you could roughly extrapolate this out to the rest of the industry. It wouldn't be necessarily entirely accurate, but it's sort of a, you know, a guide stick, if you will. Um, Which is interesting because it kind of goes to show, I think, just how little of an impact the current gen consoles have had in comparison. Like, the fact that they're still drawing that much of a percentage of their revenue from previous gen... Kind of says something.
1: Uh, it is, but I mean, in that case, you'd think they'd be drawing more revenue from the PC. I mean, the PS Four is still the number one revenue drawer by like three percent. By three percent over PC, but over any other system. I mean, if you combine the the PS Four with the Xbox One, you still have thirty eight percent, and if you add the PC, that right there is sixty one percent. If you include the PC with current gen, which Mm -hmm. is where they're current at. 61% of the revenue is coming from current-gen, which, I mean, I don't know, I can't speak for what a good percentage is two years after a console is launched. I think you'd hope it'd be 85% all current-gen.
0: I Uh, mean, yeah, I mean, again, like like you said, I I wouldn't pretend to know what a good quote-unquote number is, but I just think that, to me, anyway, that just seems... Well,
1: you have to think Low. if they're still releasing all the same games for all the same systems, and you have an install base of like 80, 90 million for the PS3 and Xbox 360 a piece, you're still going to get a good chunk of change from them.
0: Well, sure, but I, I think that that's, that is something that speaks to just how many people have not taken the leap into a, a new yeah. console. Yeah,
1: that's true.
0: Um, Me
1: being one of them. But <laughs> you're starting to see Ubisoft, too. they They are releasing more games exclusively for next-gen like the Nessus Assassin's Creed. I don't know if Just Dance 4... No, Just Dance 4 is on... Or Just Dance 2015, whatever the, Or 16, whatever the hell they want to call it. Uh, that is still... I think they're releasing that on the Wii, actually. Hmm. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. So I, I'll t- I'll retract that part what I was saying about that. But I, I can't remember the article. I saw it while I was looking for articles this week. Like, Ubisoft's digital sales have overtook in physical sales
0: in terms of overall. That is less surprising, I think, in this in this day and age. Like, I am not surprised by the fact that digital is taking over. What I am, well, again, maybe not actually surprised, but maybe a little disappointed about, is how expensive digital games still are especially, and continue to be.
1: Especially compared to their physical counterparts. Yes,
0: particularly compared to the physical counterparts. And this is something that we had touched on before when we had our discussion about digital versus physical. Right. And that is I am very much of the stance that I don't believe that a digital copy of a game should cost as much as a physical copy when you're talking like brand new retail. Ever. I don't I do not believe it should. Because A large portion of what they're trying to recoup from that is the manufacturing and distribution costs, which you do not have when you are providing it digitally. Now, if a digital copy comes with, like, a
1: soundtrack or maybe some DRM-free art, wallpaper, themes, stuff like that. Is it all still
0: digital? Well, yeah.
1: Then, no. But you can take that soundtrack (laughs) and you can press it to a CD, if you could do that. I mean, you could, I mean, you're putting it on iTunes. I'm
0: saying if that digital copy came with all that stuff. And the physical didn't. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, if one had it and one didn't, sure. Well, that'd be a way to sweeten sweeten the pot, right? If you're talking about, yeah, if you're talking about making, like, the, the comparable price more palatable for downloading a digital copy by including more shit, yeah, sure. Yeah. That, yeah. But one company
1: that doesn't get it is the one we were just talking about is Ubisoft. They're just not making any sense. Well, they
0: are... I mean from a business standpoint from a business they standpoint. absolutely are but from a consumer standpoint no. it's not at all and it's this is exactly what I was just saying Ubisoft's stance on why they're charging so much for digital games essentially boils down to because fuck you really
1: here here's the when it comes to digital sales so I'll give credit for Ubisoft saying this. They're being pretty much very bluntly honest, if you know what they're saying. I mean, fuck you, is pretty blunt. It's pretty blunt. They're not saying that, that <laughs> bluntly. They're saying almost as bluntly as we just want your money we want to rake as much revenue as, revenue as possible. The first quote I'm going to read here is from Yves uh, Guillermo. No. Guillermo. I don't know. Guillermo? Guillemot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's French. It's Guillemot. Uh, Guillemot. Guillemot (laughs) I'll say Guillemot i say his first name is Yves I I can get the Japanese ones but the French ones fuck it Yves Guillemot Guillemot yeah or Guillemot whatever the guy from the CEO of Ubisoft there we go this is what he had to say Digital is more reactive than what we put in stores, but at the same time, it doesn't react as fast on consoles than it does on PC. What we can say is that when games are older than one year, digital is a lot more dynamic on console because there are less units in stores. It's a new business, a new trend, and we think all this will get more in line with time. If you look at the PC post-release discount trend, I think you will see that on consoles, but when you have to wait a little bit for time, of time for that to happen with the same speed. And then the CFO, Elaine Martinez, much easier to say, hmm. had this to say. Uh, on digital, we will not sell for a lower price compared to physical. After a few weeks or a few months, things can change. We are actually more aggressive on the PC side where digital is very, very strong. We tend to be more conservative on the digital side for more console and more flexible on PCs. So what they're pretty much saying is they're not going to lower the price for digital until their physical lot that they make money on runs out and the only way you can really find the game is digitally unless you want to buy it used. That's what I'm reading from this. And then once digital is the primary option to buy, then you may or may not see discounts on it.
0: It's just their way of maximizing their revenue. That's how I'm seeing it. I mean, that's pretty much how it is. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's really any other way to see that. And as we said, you know, from a purely business standpoint, this makes all the sense in the world, and that's fine. Um, But just from, from a gamer and from a consumer standpoint, I, as I mentioned, don't agree with this at all. I mean... Of course, if I was a businessman, I would want to charge whatever the market is willing to bear for a price, and it's been proven time and time again that gamers are willing to pay the same amount for a digital copy as they are for one that they could walk into the GameStop and <laughs> pick up off a shelf. But, there you go. If you're wondering why Ubisoft is charging the same for its digital
1: as its physical, it's because they want to make Z-monies. Just like everybody else. Especially PewDiePie. Holy balls. So I guess the biggest part of this story, if you haven't heard, PewDiePie's earnings came out and he makes roughly to the equivalent of $7.45 million from posting to YouTube and all his deals and everything like that, which is a significant increase from what he made last year, which was $4 million. And before that, I think he made roughly $840,000. So, um, he's not poor and he's doing it from YouTube. And apparently there's been a lot of hate
0: on the internet over this. Well, okay. So, I mean, apart from the people that are just purely jealous of the fact that he got in at the right time and was doing the right thing, because let's be honest, like, I think that's a big part of his success is it was Mm -hmm. timing. It was timing. It was the content that he was doing at that time. And then, in addition to that, he has a somewhat unique... Delivery? Sure. Maybe not so much now, just because of the amount of people that are sort of trying to cop that same thing. When he came out, he really did. Right, which is the same argument you can make for, like, angry video game nerd. Like, at the time, Mm -hmm. that was novel, and now everybody tried to copy it, but... is he still the best at that. True, true. Uh, But no, so PewDiePie has a somewhat unique situation as far as his geography is concerned Mm -hmm. because that was actually one of the things that contributed to the reason that he has so many views Um, and I don't know all of the specifics but I do know that because of where he was located or where he is located which um, is in Sweden which is in Sweden he was able to get views from Sweden and, like, that surrounding European area in addition to the U.S. and a few other places in regions that not everybody would always get access to. Um, Well, someone who did a fantastic video about it was
1: uh, The Game Theorists. They did this, like, Mm. a year or two ago. They explained the rise of how PewDiePie did it. And I think they... Knowing how The Game Theorists makes their videos now, I think he did it purely to get views for... Mentioning PewDiePie, well, <laughs> but yeah. that's a that's a that's a topic unto itself. <laughs> yeah. Um. But he does he did do a really good uh, job. Matt Pat from the game Fear is explaining how PewDiePie kind of rose to power, about his location, how YouTube advertises and, and spreads. Yeah. And now he's at thirty seven million subscribers, and I don't know a single one of them.
0: Uh, Unless will, you're subscribed to him, I was for a while. Well, you're not anymore, right? No. So I don't know a single person. Mm, you're right. You don't. <laughs> No, I did for a while, mostly because I just wanted to see what the deal was, and so I subscribed for a while, and I, you know, I watched some of his vids as they came through, and kind of immediately realized that I am not his target audience.
1: No, (laughs) at all.
0: I think I watched two videos of his, and just like,
1: no. Um, But I don't hate. I don't hate on him for making seven and a half, almost seven and a half million dollars last year. Um, no, I'm, I mean more power to him, man. I'm extremely yeah. envious. Well, yeah, of that. Yeah. I, I, think if, like, I look at the success from a lot of these people here, and I, I don't, I'd be lying if it says that wasn't part of the motivation to make this podcast successful, and, and hope this gets more successful because there's there, there is an opportunity to make a little bit of change uh, off a successful program like this on the internet. So I can't hate on it because there's some aspirations behind this podcast that hopefully one day we'll be able to make maybe $10 a month off it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say we should also sort of like put along the the caveat with all of that that I think as we had mentioned in one of our first or earlier podcasts is that we're definitely not doing this to get rich. That's for sure. We're doing it because we enjoy doing it. If we happen to make like enough money to recoup our beer costs, that'd be cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> or pay for the website or
1: boost our Facebook page mm. or, or any of that stuff but I mean now we're, now we're getting off on a derailment about ourselves which I think is the best thing I like to talk about but we're not here to do that <laughs> um, but I can't hate on it you know good for PewDiePie good, good for the fact he's making that money I don't care for his videos I don't care for his product I don't watch it but a lot of people do and that's what matters in the entertainment industry whether it be YouTube or anything so you know good, good on him Good on him. Going back into the land of retro games, there's a game that I would call near and dear to some of us, and that would be Dragon
0: Quest. Did you ever get the Dragon Quest Shane? You know, I actually didn't. Um, I don't think I've ever played an entry in Dragon Quest. Well, shame um, on you. First of all, I know. It's it's okay. First Final Fantasy, now Dragon Quest. I mean, everyone
1: played Dragon Warrior back in the day. You used to play Dragon Warrior, right? Oh
0: well you had a master I mean, system, that's I mean, right. You didn't have a Nintendo. Well okay. I mean is is Dragon War was that like the first one?
1: Yeah, I mean they were called Dragon Warrior in the United States for one, two, three, four, and seven because five and six didn't come out here. Okay. And um then they started calling Dragon Quest again with with Dragon Quest eight.
0: Okay. Well then to be fair, I actually have a <clears throat> copy of Dragon Warrior, like right now, that I've played played mm-hmm. a bit of. So So technically yes, I have played it. Yeah. So there you go. That was the one that started it all. Mm -hmm. But this is what's probably
1: going to be probably big in Japan, I would imagine. I hope it's big overall. Dragon Quest announced a Minecraft-esque Dragon... Well, Square Enix announced a Minecraft-esque Dragon Quest game. It's called Dragon Quest Builders, a block-made RPG. And, yeah, I mean, it looks exactly what it, it... this is gonna be it's it's gonna be like a Dragon Quest Minecraft game where you go around and uh, build stuff in the land of a Toriyama of drawn characters. I mean,
0: do you really think that this is a good idea? No, like, don't we think we're a little past trying to copy Minecraft? I mean, if if any if anyone had gone on Xbox Live within the past ever and go to you know the indie arcade section, indie indie. It is a wasteland of Minecraft clones. Well, Mojang aren't they Swedish too? What Mojang? Yeah, Mojang. I'm gonna call it Mojang. Well, you can call it Mojang. Go, I
1: think it's Mojang. I don't care. Okay, that sounds. I weird. don't care if you don't care. It's Mojang for me. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. So wait, what about? Are they Swedish too? Like, oh, like um, I think PewDiePie, think Phoenix, Jelberg. I want to say he is. I don't know. It's, it's notch. It's some, not just, it's somewhere in the, in the Norways, uh,
1: in the Norwegian Scandinavian, he's getting, same thing. Now remember that, yeah, that was indie. You say you go into Xbox Live Arcade, and you go to the indie scene, and you have uh, countless Minecraft clones. Yes. You have Terraria, and that's indie, but have we ever had a, a really concentrated effort to make a Minecraft clone from a major
0: developer? EverQuest. That, that doesn't, that wasn't like Minecraft. It absolutely was. What are you talking about? It's the same thing. The it is not the same thing. You do not build your world on ever Evercrack quest. No, not the original EverQuest. Like okay. the more recent one they I don't remember exactly what they called it, but it was supposed to be like a pre game game, if that makes sense. Like and you go. It, it's it's Minecraft in EverQuest. Like you can go in there and excavate mountains and build things, and it's it's basically like a prettier Minecraft, but what, set what it, in did, EverQuest. Did universe.
1: anyone hang up? Did anyone hear about this? Yeah. Like this was this was a, this was a thing. This was a deal.
0: Yeah, it's still going on now. I'm
1: pretty sure I played it for a little bit. I didn't even know this existed. Yeah. Well, I stand corrected. A
0: major developer did try it, but there was no hype behind it, was there? there was and then it just kind of dropped off so i haven't heard much of anything about it in a while
1: but but like square enix is a major developer it's definitely probably in the top yeah. 10 recognizable names for gamers sure i mean even now they've become more western with like the tomb raider mm. franchise and the hitman franchise and all the other western deus ex so now pe- more people know about Square Enix than they they have in the past. So yeah. this is, a, I think, this is going to be you know something like this, Dragon Quest wise. This this will get if the Japanese audience is not Minecraft already, this could get Japanese
0: audiences interested in it. Yeah, because I mean, you know, why not make Minecraft a few more billion dollars? Well, I mean, it's not making Minecraft anything.
1: You it, have to think about it. It might. It might if they sue them. But I mean, video games. <laughs> Video games aren't really like that in terms of, you know, copycats. Copycats are, I wouldn't say embraced, but there's less legal action unless it's 100% completely blatant. I mean, if that was the case, then couldn't Minecraft go after Terraria, which is essentially 2D Minecraft?
0: Mm, Well, I think that's different enough that they probably wouldn't have grounds to do that. I would say that they could probably have a pretty solid case against a lot of those games on Xbox Live, mm -hmm. but it's probably just not worth their time.
1: Well, I think that maybe Dragon Quest builders looking at it, it looks kind of like everyone's saying it's going to be like Minecraft. I'm wondering if it's going to be more like three D got three D dot game Heroes crossed Minecraft because it seems like you're building up uh, uh, the world again, which is what the theme was in Dragon Warrior Seven, Dragon Quest Seven, which, by the way, was uh, announced to come over here, Western release. Oh, for those of you who care, which is very probably very few of you. <laughs> Because that game was, like, 120 hours. It was a slog. Yeah. It's coming out in the 3DS, though. Ooh. I don't know. So you get to play it on the go. But anyway, that's Dragon Quest, um... Dragon Quest Builders, you can tell by
0: Shane's enthusiasm, he's going to be pre-ordering it tomorrow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because if there's one thing that I'm totally all about, it's fucking Minecraft. I spent money on that shit, too, and I played it for, like, two hours, and I was like, I don't get this. I I, I, I can't see myself playing that game. I tried. Like, I built a little hut, and then I was like, okay, so I'm safe from all the shit, so what do I do now?
1: <laughs> I felt the same <laughs> way in Terraria. It. But, like, in Terraria, you actually had monsters
0: to fight constantly. There's a little bit of a platform element to it. I mean, you have monsters every night in Minecraft, too, unless you play it on peaceful mode. Which I think that's what most people play it on, isn't it? Not really. Really? I mean, if you're in there to, like, build, you know, Helm's Deep or whatever the fuck, then probably, because you don't want it to get blown up every night. So, yeah. yeah. But, like, the default game mode for that is you have, like, creepers and skeletons and stuff coming out, like, every night. I do think it's sad that I, I
1: don't own a single copy of Minecraft. And my that's... kids can tell you more about the game than
0: I could ever, even with research, tell you. Oh well, maybe that part I was gonna say not that's owning it, disturbing. probably not that sad. My but... kids know what a creeper is, and I don't own a single copy of the game. I mean, they have YouTube, right? So yeah, that's, that's probably that's why, why. They, they, they like watching let plays. Un- unfortunately, yeah, because if you go to the just the gaming section of YouTube, <laughs> like ninety percent of the videos listed there are all just Minecraft let us plays. That's all it's a, That's all it is. Like, comment, subscribe. Like,
1: like, like. Comment, comment, comment. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Watch my previous video on this topic. But you get the point. Hey, it's how they make their living. I'm not going to hate. I will a little bit. A little bit. (laughs) All right. Now, I'll let you take this one. We were talking about this one before we got it
0: kicked off. And I know you've been (laughs) itching, (laughs) itching to talk about it. So, uh, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of this because I really don't use this word that often. But you know that German word for like really appreciating like the misery of others? I believe it's like Schadenfreude. That. That is what I feel right now. And it's so good. <laughs> so so Sega, I mean after fucking who knows how long about I don't know, let's say 10 years and that's probably a conservative estimate have finally come around and made a statement saying, like, you know what, like, maybe we've kind of made some shitty things for the past, like, a uh, decade or two, give or take, and, um, we, we want to try to fix that.
1: We're sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're sorry. We're so sorry. We're
0: sorry. Please understand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so part of, part of their actual words for this were that they they have felt, or admitted at least, that they have betrayed the trust of their fan base in recent years. And uh, the Sega CEO and president, uh, Hajime Satomi, Uh, said we did our best to build a relationship of mutual trust with older fans of Sega but looking back there have been some titles that have partially betrayed that trust in the past 10 years. Sega in the 90s was known for its brand but after that that, we've lost trust and we were left with nothing but reputation which was shit. That was not him. That was me. Uh, For this reason we'd like to win back the customer's trust and become a brand once again. They also tried to end this on a somewhat positive note, because otherwise this is completely negative, I guess, but... So, he said that since they're seriously considering quality, you know, finally, I can make that promise for the time being, but I believe we will announce something for home consoles at the Tokyo Game Show. You know what this means, Shane? Uh, it means... I know, you know what this means? What does it mean? Dreamcast 2 confirmed. Holy shit.
1: Mind blown. So... Everyone, go to GameStop and pre-order your Dreamcast 2. It comes with a free digital copy of Sonic Adventure, Sonic Adventure 2, and Fantasy Star Online. Online subscription's not included unless you pay $60 on pre-order bonus. And a
0: loaded revolver for when you finally just give up on that shit.
1: Go ahead, tear him a new asshole. Because I'm going to do it after you do it.
0: Oh, God. Dude, <laughs> fuck these guys. Just <laughs> fuck them, man. Like... They are so far past redemption at this point that this is just pathetic. It's pathetic. I... Okay. Maybe not every episode, but I'm going to go with at least half of our episodes. For some reason or another, I try to find an opportunity to just rip on Sega. And it usually happens. And I think it's with good reason. Uh Uh-huh. Mostly mostly Sonic, really. Sonic. Yeah. yeah, The Sonic is really where it comes in. And, uh, like, okay... (laughs) For what it's worth, I will give them credit that they are at least acknowledging the fact that they have been just churning out nothing but tripe for far too long. I just don't think... This this is too little too late. I don't think there's anything salvageable here. And, and I also don't believe that there is a quote-unquote good Sonic game that they could possibly make at this point that would salvage the reputation that Satomi mentions in his statement, I, "I I don't see that happening. There isn't anything that can pull them back out of where they're at. They have dug themselves so far in with just shitty game after shitty game for so long. I I don't see I don't see a return to form. I'm going to partially
1: disagree with you. I'm going to start out with the positives that Sega has done. I think the fact that Sega was a hardware developer for so long has people expecting a lot more of them than they have. So." But before we I I do my angry rant on Sega, mm. I'm gonna pick out some of the some of the positives they've done over the past year past couple years, past ten years, whatever the case may be. First of all, the Yakuza series is supposed to be pretty good. Um, but that's been limited to Japan only because North American audiences won't buy it. And that's not necessarily Sega's fault. After Burner Climax for the for the PS3 and uh, Xbox 360 are pretty good. They've done a good job of re-releasing their classic titles. Uh, I think they they, they offer discounts for them quite often. I think they could do a better job. They had a, the, the Sonic Mega Collection for with all the Genesis games was good. Uh, their mobile scene is actually pretty decent. The 3ds
0: remakes they're releasing right now are actually pretty decent. But can you okay? Can you really praise them for just being good at re-releasing previous shit? Like is that really a I think that means that they pay attention to their past. I mean, I'm saying that's that's a
1: positive. I'm not saying it's it's great because Nintendo does it all the time, and we kind of praise them for it. But they do much more than that as well. Yeah. So, well, the Sonic uh, the Sonic Racing games, many a lot of people think are better than Mario Kart games. I have heard that, yeah. and, and there I I own Sonic and All Stars Racing. Transformed. is phenomenal. Sonic and All Stars Racing for the uh, for the Wii and 360 and PS3 was was I heard was really good too. Um... I think a diary say Sonic Generations. Sonic Generations was supposed to be alright. But yeah, they have some very, very, very questionable decisions that they've made. Like uh, Sonic Boom and Sonic 360. Uh, Valkyria Chronicles, highly praised. On the PS3, they move to being a PSP and don't make the uh, third installment. Uh, pretty much ignoring all their IPs, their serious IPs, and, and making new content. When's the last time we've seen a Shining Force game or a Shining game that was worth a shit? Shining Force
2: 3?
1: <clears throat> I, I'm pretty sure there's been one released after that, uh, like one of their, their crappy EXAs or Shining Tears or whatever the fuck. But no one cares because that series is dead. You've killed Fantasy Star. Like all these Fantasy Star Universe, Fantasy Star Online, whatever the case may be, like they, they've all been the same. Yeah, people who play them might like them and people might look forward to them, but ultimately no one gives a shit. You've killed that. Your entire arcade scene is dead. That's not so much Sega's fault, but they could have been making new, interesting, arcade-style games based off the IPs like, I don't know, fucking Golden Axe or Streets of Rage or Afterburner or OutRun or any of that. They could have been doing that for the past 10 years and bringing out... I won't. I want to say cheaply made products, but inexpensive, inexpensive products of high quality for the console games market that we could appreciate and we could play. And yes, they made an effort by bringing out these remakes that actually had absolutely no hype, and they've been a terrible job marketing, like virtual, uh, like the virtual fighter games that came out in the PS3, the Fighting Vipers 2, which should have been. A, I think that I think that has come out here. I know Fighting Vipers is, but Fighting Vipers 2, which never came out in America, they put on the PlayStation Network. And I think, like, there's absolutely no hype about it. Sonic Fighters, absolutely no hype about it. You're bringing out, you're, like, making HD versions of these games that came out that Americans never had an opportunity to play, and you don't do anything about it. Yeah, you bought Atlas, and Atlas now can make games like Shining Force, and they can remake Valkyria Chronicles, and they can bring back Fantasy Star, and they can bring back uh, Shining, like, games like Shining the Darkness, and all those series, and all those RPGs that they have neglected. Uh, the, the Legend of Thor or uh, slash Beyond Oasis series they could be doing this and they're not they are fo- they're doing the same shit Konami has been doing albeit not as badly as Konami has been doing it and th- it's, it's sad to watch it I think they're not doing as bad as people do but I think people want more from Sega and I can understand as someone who owns every single Sega home console and portable system in my house and that's what I collect, that's what I, that's what I prefer to do, and I want to see more of these IPs come out because it's just become Sonic and nothing else, and it's starting to piss me off. So fuck you, Sega. When you come out <laughs> with this announcement the Tokyo Game Show... I want you to say that, hey, that OutRun game that we put on Xbox and took off that no one can download anymore, you can get that again. Hey, that Afterburner game we put on on uh, the the last-gen systems and we took off the networks and you can't download anymore, we're going to put that out for the next-gen systems. We're going to take off all these games that we did, and we're going to put them back on the next-gen systems. I want to see a Saturn collection. I want to see a better Dream Class collection other than Sonic Adventure, which is out on fucking everything. Crazy Taxi, which you can get from fucking everything. And Space Channel 5, which is short. And shitty. Sorry. I I want to see better compilations. Yes, I'm saying release old shit, but come out with new shit as well and bring over the Accusa series. Fuck you, Sega, I'm done.
0: I, I would say he would drop the mic, but it's like on the table, and so so he can't do that. And also Fuck it'd your be, mic. Also be really loud. <laughs> uh, I mean you do realize that the thing they're going to announce at TGS is probably just another Sonic game, right? They're just gonna be like Hey, we're gonna God, go. Hope we're gonna go back to uh, 2D Sonic and try to do that again. God, I hope not. Even though that didn't work before. And out of all the possibilities that you listed that they could have been doing in the past like ten or fifteen years, give or take, what what have we gotten? Sonic 06, Sonic Boom. Well, Sonic
1: Generations, Sonic Colors,
0: Sonic Adventure, Sonic
1: Adventure 2. Those were Which, bad games. No, they are. But no, when they're, they're released, they were bad not. fucking games. Not when they were released. They were not bad games. I love them. Uh, now I go back and play them and realize, yeah, they're not that great. But I loved them at the time. With, I mean, was that
0: just because there was nothing else to play? Because, no, like, there was plenty to play. Those games are busted as fuck. I went back and played them now, like a couple months ago. and You, you played them now. You didn't play them in 1999. They were still busted as fuck in 1999. They were know, not without their flaws. That is putting it mildly. Like, when you're when you're playing a Sonic level and you're, you're, like, rolling your way down a curve and every time you hit a curve, for some reason it acts like there's a goddamn Sonic magnet on one side of the curve that pulls him in and off the fucking track, even if you're directing him in a different direction, that's bullshit. Well, hey, you know what? No, this is like, <laughs> you're just being a Sega apologist right now. And it's funny because I'm a Nintendo guy. Yeah, yeah. So there is there is no excuse for that. No, none at all. You know what? I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they have at TGS. Mostly because I feel like it's going to just be like for great entertainment value for me. I, you know
1: what I could see them doing. Hey, we're sorry we're not supporting Shenmue three, so we're releasing Shenmue one and two. <laughs> God, we saw how excited you were about it. <sighs>
0: Dude, whatever. Fuck
1: Sega. I, I still love you, Sega. I still do. um. But you're not coming back. Sorry. And just for the record, favorite game, I'm not saying it's the best, my favorite game of all time is Streets of Rage 2. So for them not to do anything with that, I don't know,
0: maybe that's a good thing that they haven't touched that since Streets of Rage 3 for the Genesis. Dude, why didn't they just make like a new badass like afterburner? Like, did you ever play... They did. They what, made Afterburner what, Climax? Climax. Yeah, for the, for the PS3 and Xbox 360. It was, like, really fucking good. And no, no, now no. you can't buy it anymore. Well, yes, there's that. Which, actually, I think I'm glad that I bought it for my 360, because so I think I still have it. But, no, uh, no, I mean, like, okay, did you play the original Afterburner when it was in the arcades? Like, yes. the thing you sat in? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I played that in England. That thing was fucking awesome. So, with all the shit that they're doing now, I mean, if you go to, like, Dave & Buster's, for example... They mm-hmm. have that um, the Star Wars like pod or whatever. Yeah. Remember, we saw that we were talking about that story yeah. that was like, I don't even know, tens of thousands of dollars to buy one. They have one of those over there, so we have the technology to make a really awesome like flight sim arcade game like but that. But no one's gonna play it. Why not? Because arcades are dead. I mean, the last time I went in Dave and Buster's, it was pretty busy.
1: Yeah, but it's a restaurant and people do that. So, okay, kids. great. So, I mean, there's just. There's one standalone arcade I can think of in the city of Jacksonville, and even that's a half...
0: Half of that's a video game store. Well, yes. I'm just saying, like, rather than trying to fuck around and make broken-ass Sonic games, they could have done something cool, like, use modern tech to make a really awesome-looking, like, new Afterburner game in a sweet-ass cabinet that you could, like, sit in, and it would, like, move around like the old one did with, like, special effects and shit. Like... (laughs) That could have happened. And that would have been awesome. But it would have been a waste of money. Dude, Sonic is a fucking waste of money. I think it's still... Ma- it has
1: to be making money for them, though. I, as bad as these... T- I mean, look, any successful... Well, I wouldn't say they're successful, but to a degree, they're successful. Any business wouldn't continue to make the same product if it wasn't making money.
0: I honestly think that Sonic is making money purely off of people buying it just to, like, play it on YouTube and make fun of it. I don't 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 buy it to make fun of it on YouTube. Did you buy Sonic Boom? I did not, actually.
1: Okay. I'm going to wait until it's, like, $5. I mean, even that's kind of pushing it. I mean, I'm going to get it eventually, just because that's what I do. But I have to be... I didn't get the Sonic Unleashed or... I do have Sonic and the Secret Rings. I'm embarrassed to admit. I do have that. I don't have, like, Sonic and the Black Knight or Sonic Unleashed, though. I thought those were a little too over-the-top.
0: I mean, I do own a copy of Sonic 06, so. I do too. There's that. And that game is. It is. It's something else. It is a, it is a sight to behold. It's. Uh,
1: <laughs> hey, uh, I, I would tell you what's wrong with that
0: game, but. We'd be here forever. Yeah, and, and if you really want to know, just go play it. A just shorter, a shorter or list. Or try to. I was saying, a shorter <laughs> list would be what's not broken about that game. It actually. turns on.
1: <laughs> Success! <laughs> All right, our next topic: Call of Duty. Uh, uh, That we don't talk about much. That we don't talk about much. Uh, That's that's fairly. I think you guys listening to this have at least heard about it. It's fairly popular in the video game world. Damn. Well, I think this is the first time that Activision may have convinced me to pre-order a Call of Duty game. I don't. I honestly don't think I'm going to do it because I saw the price tag for it. But man, oh man, would this be cool? Shannon, let's you take it from here. It would be very cool. Ah,
0: uh, that's Ba-dum-ts. that. That is a that is a good pun. It's actually pretty awful. <sighs> you could have just you could have just gone with that one, Chris. Why'd you just say shut up, Chris? <laughs> so it would be pretty cool because if you so... pre-order the collector's edition of Call of Duty Black Ops Three, or as I like to call it, Cod Blops Three, it sounds like cock block. You know it does. Cock block. or whatever a blop is for a cod i don't know i've never asked a fish but the collector's edition of the newest cod blops uh includes a mini fridge where you can keep your cod where you could keep your cod. <laughs> your cod blop whatever that happens to be if you know what a cod blop is please like comment and subscribe
1: <laughs> uh you don't uh, have a youtube <laughs> channel damn it just subscribe shit. and like. rate and rate and subscribe on yes. itunes
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. That's a thing, isn't it? Yeah. See, we haven't even been shilling that. Uh, Ah, whatever, fuck it. But, uh, yeah, so if you pre-order this thing, the collector's edition, specifically if you want to drop that kind of cash on it, you get this pretty cool-looking little mini-fridge. It's got uh, Jugger Nog written across the front of it, which I guess is like the in-game, um, like, stim pack or health pack or something? Oh, health perk. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's the in-game soda that's used to gain an extra health perk in, I guess, zombie mode specifically. I'm surprised this doesn't have Mountain Dew all over it. You would really think that it would, wouldn't you? This is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like the unholy fusion of COD and Mountain Dew. I mean, they've already done it. Yeah. Did they include Doritos? I think they did at one point. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Then There's a whole ethics and game journalism thing with it.
0: Yeah, uh, it's, you know, whatever, man. But
1: like, you can't talk about that nowadays. Anyway, yeah. moving on.
0: So, yeah, we're looking at the the photo of it here. And I mean, I will admit it is pretty cool, and if I cared about Call of Duty, I I would probably be pretty pretty convinced to at least consider dropping the money on this thing because why not? I mean, it, I I mean, at the very least the fridge holds, well, like well, it holds a, 12 a dozen.
1: It holds a yeah. It holds a dozen. Uh, holds a dozen twelve ounce cans. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. A dozen twelve ounce cans. So we could use
0: that for the podcast. I mean, yeah, you know, all of the totally wholesome, um, all natural cane sugar soda that we drink, and cane sugar beer. <laughs> well, that was that like tequila beer that you brought that, the other day. That was that was stimulating. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, apart from the big thing, which is the mini fridge, um, you also end up with. Uh, what else do you get? You get the Steelbook Game Case, whatever. You get some physical concept art cards. Uh, you get a bonus zombie mode map. Three in game personalization packs with weapon camo, reticles, and calling cards. You get a copy of the soundtrack. And, of course, a season pass to all upcoming map packs. And if that is something that sounds interesting to you, then you may or may not be willing to drop $290 on it. I'll tell you what, It's, a, it's better than a fucking case to put your phone in and call it a Pit boy. You can fuck directly in the direction of off because
1: oh look at this, It's a plastic
0: case for me to put my phone in. This is awesome. I
1: mean, let you, me you, r- let me run my app and call it
0: Pitboy. I mean, you you do know that like that it it like interfaces with the game, right? You don't need a thing on your wrist for it to do that. But but it's but it's an actual Pip Boy. <laughs> no, it's not an actual Pip Boy. It's a case what? to make your phone feel like an actual Pip Boy. You know what? When, this is an actual refrigerator. When the that when, works. When the apocalypse comes and your fridge isn't working anymore, I will totally have a Pip Boy that has a blank screen in it because the battery in my phone ran out. <laughs> <laughs> You make a compelling point. I know. But I can still hit you
1: with the fridge and it's gonna hit a lot hurt a lot more than if you hit me with a pit boy. And then at least I'll have some place
0: to hide your body. In a mini fridge? Well at least an arm. Do you have a wood chipper? <laughs> Cause that might work. Maybe. Uh, no. Alright <laughs> then. But, uh, I don't know. I'm going to actually stop around. I'd like to see if I can get a mini-fridge. I didn't actually know this, but apparently Black Ops 2, the previous entry in the series, uh, the special edition came with a flyable RC quadcopter. So I guess that's kind of cool. I gotta see how much a, a mini-fridge costs. I'm going to see if this is worth it. You so know... I'm gonna talk to the wife and get myself a mini-fridge. Yeah, well, good luck with that, first uh, of all. She spends money on stupid At- shit. I can get this. <laughs> She, she doesn't listen to this, does she?
1: <laughs> we'll find out.
0: <laughs> uh, and Chris calls me up later this week and asks if he can crash on my couch. Now I'll know why. You're too far from work. Dude, I'm too far from everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know what would be really cool though, if you were like the ultimate Black Ops fan, is if you could figure out a way to get your RC quadcopter to pick you up a beer from your fridge <laughs> and bring it to you on the couch. That would be that
1: would be awesome. It would be awesome. I would love it. Well, I don't have. I would never get Black
0: Ops Two. I'm. Uh, I will never say never. But you know, you say that, and actually, Black Ops is like one of the only. Call of Duty games that I've actually played. I, I bought them when it was, like, really cheap on Steam, uh-huh. but I bought them specifically to play through the campaign because, actually, the Black Ops campaigns are not bad. I've heard the campaigns in general aren't that bad as long as you don't pay the $60 for the game. Uh, no, no, don't do that at all. But, I mean, even compared to the other entries in, in the Call of Duty series, well, okay, <laughs> like, the first one or two notwithstanding, because as far as I'm concerned, those are, like, those aren't even the same game series, as far as I'm concerned at this point. But, like, more modern Call of Duty games, Black Ops at least the the campaign has been a lot more compelling than like some of the other ones. I might I
1: might try to go back to see if I can get the the, the Call of Duty games for the Wii U, just because if there is still any scene on there, the online's still free, and even if there is no scene on there, I I don't know. I just like increasing the library for my for my Wii U now. We just talked about how Sega is doing a little bit better than Konami, but now let's just focus on Konami so we can blast them away. A new video, Wee. a new video was released by Angry Joe. For those of you who don't know who Angry Joe is, uh, he's a YouTuber and he does reviews and interviews. And he had an interview with Konami, I believe at E3. Was it E3? You had an interview with them. I think so, yeah. When it was about Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain. That's to come out later this year. And while he was having the interview, some people pulled him aside, as he claims, and said that he could not ask questions about Kojima, specifically. Um, as we all know, this rift is, is getting really bad, and we don't know exactly what has happened between Kojima and Konami. I think at this point we're almost just lucky to make sure that Metal Gear Solid 5 gets released, and that's only because that's the only thing that Konami has on the video game market anyway. But I do find it interesting that now it's getting to the point where you can't even talk about the dude without them getting upset and saying, this interview's over.
0: I mean, at this point I'm actually surprised that they just haven't sent like a corporate hit squad to his house and just taken care of the problem. That would be a solution if you don't want people to talk about him. But yeah. I think that more people will talk about him because they'd be like, "Why did you kill him?" I'm like, we didn't kill him. Well, that's the thing. Yes, if, yes, you did. I mean, they're they're probably good enough at it. They they we would never know. It would look like an accident. I mean, have you ever seen Kojima? How do you know he even exists now? How do you know he's alive? Um, I mean, how how do you know that things are real if our eyes aren't real? Uh, I think, therefore, I am and this thing is getting ridiculously <laughs> stupid and deep so anyway thank you Jaden Smith for all of your weird ass tweets <laughs> we all appreciate it please continue
1: um but fuck Konami uh they I don't know what the fuck they're doing this is this is getting stupid they don't know what the fuck they're doing and, and according and according to stories as well it sounds like Kojima Productions has officially disbanded from one of the from the Japanese voice actor for Snake in Japan
0: yeah yeah, I mean, all, all, at this point, all signs point to basically a slash-and-burn campaign for anything Kojima-related. Like, everything is just getting shut down. No one wants to talk about it. Very little information about the why or how is really coming out. And I suspect that we probably won't hear much about the details of any of this, at least for quite a while. Um, it sounds like they're really trying to keep all this under wraps. Which, of course, is just going to fuel more speculation as to what happened. Um, but that's really it. Like, at this point, that's really all we have is speculation. Uh, and it's unfortunate. I think Kojima has really kept Konami afloat
1: in the video game realm. As far as I'm concerned. I mean, they already lost uh, Igarashi
0: mm-hmm. for Castlevania. Uh, Castlevania now isn't doing shit for him. You know, I gotta be honest though. Like I, I actually see all of this as good things, for what, for us, how, so <clears throat> well. You take like Igarashi, right? Right. Like the fact that he is, he has moved away from you know, um, his traditional corporate environment and kind of moved out on his own. Uh, I think he has a lot more freedom to do the thing that we want him to do and I want to say that Kojima will probably follow in that same track. Um, well, I actually would not be surprised if something ended up coming out, probably on Kickstarter because that's where it all ends up, that would be somewhat in the same vein as Bloodstained, where it's like Kojima just like comes out of the woodwork and is just like, hey, I want to make this game, and I'm not going to tell you that it's called Silent Hill or whatever, but... It basically well, is. I, I couldn't see Kojima, if he was going to do
1: something on his own, coming out with a game similar to Silent Hills. Probably Silent like Silent Hill at all. Metal Gear. No, I would see... Well, say, actually, probably not, because he doesn't want to do that No, I would see Kojima going back to doing something more like Snatcher or Police Knots. If he was going to come out and do his own thing, he would go back to that area. I mean, much like, you know, like, look at Igarashi. He, he tried branching out to the 3D realm. He didn't like getting back to the 2D platformers and start having him do mobile games. I don't know what he was, exactly was doing. i doing. have to take another look. Um, But he did some games like Nanobreaker and stuff. But uh, he went back to doing what he came in the industry and started doing was Castlevania. You look at what uh, K.J. Inafuni, he did. I mean, he had the Mega Man Legends games. He did some other things, I believe, other than Mega Man. He'd have to in order to be a Capcom during the Mega Man Legends era. Mm. But he went back and went original Mega Man route. Uh, But, I mean, both those guys stuck with those for a while. So if I saw Kojima coming out, I could see him going back to his roots first.
0: I mean, something like Snatch, like an adventure game, like Snatcher, yeah. And I mean that that might also just be like a partially selfish assessment of it because you know, I would kind of like a another like an actually good Silent Hill game. Although I wouldn't want it from Kojima. I I look yeah. for the uh, the original team Silent to
1: band together, rename themselves, and come out to Kickstarter for a horror game.
0: That would be impressive.
1: I would back the shit out of that. We're going a little off-topic. Have you seen all the reaction for uh, Allison Road? That's been all over the place.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of been being... It's being billed, and this might be, like, more hype than anything, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, but right now, at least, it's being billed as sort of like the... It's the successor to what Silent Hills was going to be. Like, this... This seems to be shaping up to be the replacement for the void that uh, PT and Silent Hills has now left. I just I just find it interesting. There's a lot of hype for it. I uh, think it's just because people are just really looking for something to fill that mm-hmm. void, is what it is. Because mm-hmm. everyone, all, all the Silent Hill fans were super stoked about Silent Hills because, well, predominantly because of PT, really, and how well that turned out. Have you played that yet, by the way? So, no, and I can't anyway now, but... um, Well, I have have it on my PS4. Oh, well. um, No, I haven't played it. I've I've watched playthroughs of it, so I've Mm -hmm. basically seen all of it. But, uh, yeah, that thing turned out so well, and the reaction to it was so positive. And then in addition to that, the names attached to that project... That just created, like, this whole perfect storm where ev- suddenly everybody was on this, like, hype train for this thing to happen, and then it just abruptly died. So that's where I'm a little cautious about things um, like uh, Allison Road. It's Allison Road, right? That's think Allison Road. Um, I'm, I'm a little cautious about that because I feel like people might be latching onto it too quickly just because they really want something like that. Whether or not it actually is going to be that is, a, is an entirely different story. Alright, we're changing
1: course. We're going to start talking a little bit of Comic-Con news. Comic-Con news really started hitting it hot and heavy yesterday on Saturday. And, and more has really been trickling in uh, as this goes on. Hopefully next week we'll have a lot of Comic-Con news and information coming out of San Diego. But uh, just kind of conclude the video game portion of it. Marvel wants to get more involved with video games. Uh, more of a quality, not quantity approach when it comes to the console market. As you all know, I mean, Marvel's already been out there in your video games. The Deadpool game was released, I think, a year or two ago. Yeah. They have a bunch of mobile games I know that you're a fan of. <laughs> uh, they, I mean, there are Marvel games that, that do exist and they've been around for a bit. But it looks like they're ramping up again and kind of refocusing what they want to do with it.
0: Yeah, no, uh, so some of the major titles that they have on mobile right now are Future Fight, Contest of Champions, and the Marvel version of Puzzle Quest, all of which are currently on my phone, Um, and all of which I play fairly regularly, with the exception of Puzzle Quest. That one's kind of dropped off. I'm a little burnt out on the Puzzle Quest thing. That's been going on for years now. It's fairly repetitive, too. Yeah, but uh, Future Fight is definitely pretty cool. It's, like I had mentioned before on an earlier episode of the podcast, it's kind of like a... Uh, it's like a mobile action RPG. It's like the closest thing that I think you could get to, like, Ultimate Alliance on a phone, really. In, like, bite-sized chunks. And then Contest of Champions is just a, uh, a 1v1 uh, fighter-like Uh, Injustice. Something like that. Mm. Except for a phone, the controls are much more simplified. Like it's, you know, you swipe for a heavy attack, you tap for a light attack, and then you hold the left side of the screen to block. And that's really it. And then you build up power on like a charge meter and you can do special attacks. Sounds like something I will not be doing. I mean, I I enjoy it, but, you know. That's their own. That's probably the closest that I personally will ever get to playing, like, an actual fighting game. Mostly because of the fact that it's... it's, so simple. It's so simple. Okay. Like, the combos and stuff, I hate that shit. Like, I do not want to memorize, like, an eight-button combo just to be, like, competitive. So, for me, this is perfect. (laughs) So, play Dive Kick. You know, I... I actually tried... I, I wasn't that bad at Dive Kick. There was a, um an event uh, at Video Game Rescue like Mm -hmm. sometime last year I think now where Mm -hmm. we had like a little fighting thing going on and one of our friends brought his copy of Dive Kick and I actually didn't suck at it probably because it's like two buttons (laughs) but still jump and Dive Kick yes dive (laughs) and also kick that is it the cool thing, and it's kind of unfortunate that we haven't heard anything about it recently, by the way, yeah. was the partnership between Telltale and Marvel. I know that there are some people that are going to say that they're probably getting to a point of burnout with like the Telltale adventure games, but they... I don't think so. But they've... Well, I've heard that. But for me, anyway, like uh, the quality has been consistent enough. And when I say quality, let me be clear that I mean quality of storytelling. Because the technical quality of some of the Telltale games recently has been atrocious. Luckily, I think they're trying to address that. Well, they hit a home run with the Walking Dead. Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: They hit home run with that. Uh, what is it? The, 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 what was the next one? Um, like the Wolf Within, or something. I don't know. The Wolf Among Us. The Wolf Among Us, which is Us. based
0: on the Fables graphic novel, which that, is also really good, which 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 did well.
1: And yep. they had... Uh, they're doing Game of Thrones right
0: now. Game of Thrones. They have Tales from the Borderlands. They have uh, Back to the Future. That's an old one. That was before they even did Walking yeah, Dead. That supposed to be really good. It was actually kind of really? just okay. Yeah. Like, I, heard, I heard that people liked it. It was well-received for they, what it was. Right. For what it was, they liked it, but like, I think that was before they really like hit their stride. Walking mm-hmm. Dead is really where they hit the formula, and that's what they've been sort of working off since then. And, and what I'm kind
1: of hoping with the Marvel series... I mean, they, this could be something they could really exploit. You could get to the point where you get, like, a choose-your-own comic. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's really kind of what it's going to be, anyway. I mean, that's what I see with it. And The only thing I could see being a disadvantage is, like, which comics are you going to address? Because... It, <laughs> like, which universe do you start in? I mean, uh, some of the things that haven't... I mean, they came out before Comic-Con. Uh, if you've noticed, if you pay attention to comics, like, DC and Marvel right now are completely... Reinventing what they're doing with the comic book series, and Marvel is coming out with a ton of new comic books this year after Secret Wars is
0: tied up, and it's it's making it complicated for me to see which ones I want to pull out and uh, get for my kids and myself. <sighs> Doesn't that isn't that just like recomplicating things? Because yes. I don't know, I haven't, I I got Secret Ours, I need to sit down and need to read it, and see what it does. Well, because, for example, like, I knew, I I had, and I've dropped off on this, but I was going to try to make a point of starting to buy into the whole comic book thing when the new 52 thing started, Mm -hmm. Um, because I was like, okay, this is basically a reboot, this is going to be the perfect time for me to get in on this, because when I looked at it prior to that... Because I've kind of always been interested in trying to get into comic books, but it's so dense and convoluted and confusing that I have no idea where to begin. Well, well comic books have really, especially in Marvel and DC, and it's
1: not limited to them, but they're the prime examples. Yeah. They've gotten caught up in their own lore. Yes, yeah. I mean, in order if you want to get into a a really established character, if you want to understand what's going on, you have to have an idea of what happened to them before. Right. You're gonna or you're gonna miss out on a lot, and
0: that's. Right. That's one of the barriers to entry on on, comics nowadays. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's overwhelming. Like, if you go and look at that, then you just are like, well, I don't even know where to start, so fuck it. But I figured New 52 was a good place to start, and I did for a while, and then now, like you said, I feel like it's just going back down that same track where things are just going to get more confusing again, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Speaking of confusing,
1: mm. Ben Affleck, <laughs> who has decided to be Batman... And before I really get started on the story, if you've been paying attention to Comic-Con at all, DC has been throwing down the gauntlet. Hmm. DC has just been going off with, with all this stuff. I actually, I'm more... Including their comics right now, what's coming out of DC, I would have to say, DC has me more intrigued about what they're doing than Marvel does. Um, especially from what I've seen from the previews of what's going to happen after Secret Wars. But one of the things that is very intriguing that I'm a little confused about, that they'll let them have this much power is that Ben Affleck, who has been tapped for Batman in Batman v. Superman, which has a new trailer that you should check out, and I can continue to delay to get to the point, uh, is going to reportedly star in, direct, and co-write standalone Batman movie. Uh,
0: so, and I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing. I mean, alright, first of all, we really haven't seen a whole lot to prove that, that the Batfleck is going to be something that we want. Um, it can't be worse than George Clooney. I mean, that's you're setting a really low bar there. Yeah, he might be better than Val Kilmer too. Again, you're 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 picking the low hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, but but so we're not sure if he's going to be a proven Batman, especially following up you know the the Christian Bale trilogy and all gravelly voice jokes aside. I actually really enjoyed Christian Bale as Batman. Not better Michael Keaton though.
1: Um, sure well, you thought he was better than Michael Keaton I so all listeners of Retro Hangover Podcast Shane thinks Christian Dale was <laughs> better than Michael Keaton as Batman pitchforks, uh, uh, pitchforks
0: and wooden planks to light on fire for torches will be on sale <laughs> <laughs> yes please go to the, the new Retro Hangover online web store where you can buy your own pitchfork and torch to come to Shane's house and take care of him for thinking such invalid thoughts. That's right, and a free map to my house with every purchase. <laughs> half the half the fun is finding it. <laughs> <laughs> that you're not wrong. So, <clears throat> okay. It's kind of like a biased opinion anyway because I, I I I saw the original Batman all of like once when I was like 10. I don't know. So, Being that Christian Bale was like the most recent one, I have the most exposure to him as Mm -hmm. Batman, and so for me, that is Batman. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. making the same argument that invariably will be made, sooner rather than later, that uh, for a lot of people, I think us included, Mm -hmm. uh, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. It's kind of the same argument. As opposed to who? Fucking whoever, man, whoever comes next.
1: That's the point. Well, I, I'm, like, I'm willing to admit that, like, Heath Ledger
0: is on the same, if not better level than Jack N- Nicholson. For different reasons. For jokers. But, yes. They're yeah. very different Jokers, but they do their own version of it really well. Yes. No, I mean, I like... But Michelle Pfeiffer is so much better than uh, uh, Anne Hathaway for Catwoman. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I like Anne Hathaway, but that wasn't even that great. But... Yeah. Uh, I mean, even... Actually, that whole movie, that last movie in the trilogy was just kind of, eh. Like, mm. uh, and Plus, how do you follow up, you know, the Joker anyway? You don't. You really don't. Um, <clears throat> but no, I mean, I appreciate the original Batman. I like Keaton as Batman. I think he made a great Batman. But I... If I had to make a choice, I would probably... Pick Christian Bale over him. So, well, whatever, man. And hopefully, Ben Affleck isn't a
1: bad Batman. But if you if you've seen the new Superman v. Uh, Batman trailer, uh, you, I mean, you can't tell anything by a trailer either. I, I just think no. Ben Affleck is just too Ben Affleck for me. <laughs> like I, 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 he's like he's been in a lot of things already. I, I see him, and I can't think of him as Bruce Wayne. I understand Michael Keaton was in things prior to Batman, but he wasn't. I'm not even going to say he wasn't a huge star, because I can't get my mind around 1989, 1990, exactly yeah. where people were during that time period. I know Val Kilmer and George Clooney were, but George Clooney was coming off ER, not all the other things he's done already. I mean, this is... If Ben Affleck was hired on this after, I don't know, Goodwill Hunting, I'd be more understanding. Like, But now he's already an established super megastar, and is just off-putting to see him as Batman, at least for me. I'm not saying he's going to be bad, but it's very off-putting.
0: And, by the way, Mr. Affleck, none of us forgot about Gili. You will never get rid of that. Well, there's a lot of movies he's done there. Uh, but, but tell me.
1: Hey, you okay, so
0: to- as far as him being Batman, we don't know about that. Yeah. As far as him being a director, he's got, like, maybe three or four credits uh-huh. to his name. And, I mean, granted, Argo was a pretty good movie. He, yeah, he he got some awards for that. I haven't right. personally seen it. But so, it was pretty good. Yeah, that was he got awards for that. That was that turned out good. So, his directorial skills probably all right. Um, not a huge lineage there. Uh, as far as writing, I you know looking at his writing credits, it was kind of like okay, I don't really know any of this really, but. Um, <clears throat> i don't know i i just feel like even though he's like a superstar or whatever like i just for this particular scenario i just feel like it's like weirdly unproven and especially that they're taking this step already and saying like he's gonna direct and co-write this thing before we've even seen the new batman i feel like it's a little i feel like they're kind of putting the cart before the horse on this i think
1: they definitely are uh, and I- the thing that worries me, if Ben Affleck write, co-writes and directs a Batman movie, I really don't want it to get stupidly political like Argo was. I, like Ben Affleck's one of those more, from what I've seen anyway, one of those uh, vo- vocally political members of, of Hollywood, where they yeah. come out and they really want you to know their opinion. He's not as vocal as some others, but he's still relatively vocal, especially around the time when it's time to vote people into office. Um, I think Argo... I, like I said, I haven't seen it from what I've heard. From what I've heard. So it, it may not be this way. But it's one of those politically charged movies that had an agenda and had a motive that he wanted to put across. Please do not bring that into Batman. <laughs> Please do not do that. If you do, it better be like on the surface or just very, very, very deep. I don't want it in my face. It's Batman. Batman. He needs to be kicking ass
0: and being detective mode. Not... <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, is like, for superhero movies, it's it's escapist cinema. Like, we don't want, we're going there to enjoy some fantastical story. Mm-hmm. We're not there to be, mm-hmm. you know, lectured on, you know, current socioeconomic issues.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you can make social commentary as long as you make it
0: just, just a secondary as, to what's going on. Right, there's a subtle way to do that, as long as it's not completely on the nose and not... Entirely ham-fisted, then sure.
1: That, that's the only thing I'd be worried about with Ben Affleck, but, you know, maybe he'll get it right. Maybe he's not. Maybe he won't do that. Please don't.
0: However, <clears throat> in potentially more solid Batman news, there uh, has been a crossover announced that is probably the closest thing we're gonna get to a Batman and Daredevil cross, I think, which is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles will be invading the city of Gotham. Yeah, which is a pretty uh, cool team
1: up. You got DC Tom- Comics and IDW. These are both the most lucrative comics for each of the studios right now. Uh them putting this out of course coming out of Comic-Con, talking about how Batman's going to be teaming up with them and you know they're going to be going after all the popular villains in each series. This is what you got to do. And what Shane means by the Batman-Daredevil crossover, which is something I didn't know... I I actually didn't know this either. ...is that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is actually a parody of Daredevil. And some of the most common themes you'll see with that is that Daredevil fights the hand, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fight the foot. (laughs) Daredevil was trained by the stick. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were trained by Splinter.
0: And, and evidently, uh, as the story goes, uh, their origins come from the same place. So the same uh, radioactive chemicals that burned the, the, the young hero's eyes that would eventually turn into the daredevil leaked into the sewers of the city and created what we now know as the heroes in a half-shell. Does that make April O'Neil Electra? And the puncher that... Casey Jones? <clears throat> you think if he wears a hockey mask That would be interesting I've always liked Casey Jones I felt like he was a good character mm-hmm. Which may or may not be because of the hockey mask I don't know Could be slightly biased there but. Or is April O'Neil more like the, the, the chick lawyer I don't know I can't remember the names right now Don't blame me
1: <sighs> She actually so, wouldn't make a bad April O'Neil I don't know There's, probably more, probably, parodies, there's probably more parallel parodies and, and stuff like that than we're aware of But yeah, it's a parody but anyway, Batman and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are doing a crossover comic, which looks like it could be interesting. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, go for it. Uh, they they match. They're both, they both can be dark. They both can be grittier, but they both have tendencies to not take themselves very seriously either. So I think it's a pretty good ma- uh, mashup.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's taking two of some of my favorite things for sure and kind of mashing them together. Um, so if you're interested in that then you probably will be on the lookout for it sometime uh, in November of this year when uh, General Krang will be teleporting the Turtles into into Gotham and mayhem will then ensue. I for one would be really interested in seeing the Ninja Turtles fighting the Joker. That I want to see the cool. Turtles fight the Penguin. <laughs> that, that would also be pretty
1: cool. <laughs> What's also pretty cool is the most appropriate place to see Pee Wee Herman again, of course, is a the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> and decades-old jokes, Pee Wee's Big Holiday will get a release date, and it's coming to Netflix. Big big deal here.
0: It yeah, it is. So this is the first uh, you know Pee Wee Herman movie that we've had in a very long time, and and by the way, I, I don't. I'm guessing that everybody gets that reference, but maybe maybe some they people missed out on that one. But the reason, if you're at all familiar with Pee Wee Herman, um, then you might already know this, but a, a part of the reason that we haven't seen anything from that character, or, well, not to say Paul Rubens because he's been in other things, but the character itself has been sort of like on in a hiatus for quite some time. Mostly because of some indiscretions on Mr. Rubin's behalf in a movie theater, which we won't go into. Wasn't it like a dirty movie theater anyway? It was. So it, what's, it was. What's, what's the surprise? That was him? Uh, I think it was mostly and just because... Kid, because
1: it was a kid's show? Yeah,
0: I think that was really the, the big thing. Like, oh my god, he's doing a movie theater that every grown man does in their house. I mean, yes, but, I mean, you know, it's not public when you're in your house unless your windows are open. <laughs> I mean, some people are into that. Some people are. If you open up your-, your windows, then you're like, no one's going to see you.
1: So, I mean, that's not that much different.
0: I mean, are you talking about my house specifically? Yeah, like, no one's here. Like, there's no one around this place.
1: You're right, it's just the woods. You, could, you could streak in your front yard
0: and, I, and no one would know. I might, like, mentally scar a few rabbits and maybe a squirrel or two, but other than that, yeah. Yeah, because they think you're a bear and you're going to eat them? but uh anyway
1: (laughs) so uh, new Pee Wee movie this one actually looks like it's going to be I don't see anything about a rating or, or what their viewpoint is on it I mean Judd Apatow is producing it and it's going to be the directorial debut for John Lee who's part of Inside Amy Schumer which is not a show for kids uh no at all no it is not so, I'm interested to see what this peewee movie is going to be like. If it's going to be for the people that watched it when it was first out, in that case, it's going to be very adult, or
0: if they're going to try to keep this thing more kid-aimed. Uh, you know, I actually, to be honest, I think the smart move here is to go the adult route. I think they really should market it towards the the people that watched it when when they were younger. Like us, people in our age bracket. Because I think the appreciation would be a lot higher there than trying to shill it out as, like, another kid's movie. That's just my opinion, but... Eh. I mean, it looks like they want to be
1: aimed towards kids. Because when it says it's delighted... They, they say that they're delighted by the opportunity to introduce such a beloved character to a new generation. Is what Rubens and Apatow are saying. But you Man. don't have the ingredients there. You don't have the people there that are necessarily... Known for how good of a kids' production that they're involved in, I would, I agree with you. It would be much more appropriate if they came out with a Pee-wee movie or Pee-wee show, a new one that was just dirty. I wanted (laughs) like grimy, maybe not like cussing, or outright like outright just you can tell innuendos like they're saying, oh the penis goes in the vagina. No, like. I mean, at that—that's at that point, that's not even an innuendo. No, that, yeah, innuendo is <laughs> the wrong word. But like sexually explicit language, like if they don't have sexually explicit language or bad language, I can under—I can understand that. In fact, I want that. I want to hear innuendo left and right. That on the surface sounds very kid-friendly, but the adults watching it in the room are like, uh, "Okay, we got to get Timmy to bed." <laughs> that's, that's that's the kind of stuff I want from, my ne- from the Pee-Wee movie. That's what I want to see. And it looks like they might do that. I really hope they do. But if they don't, I'll be disappointed. I mean,
0: even to a certain degree, even stuff like, you know, Shrek or whatever had that in it. So I want it dirtier. Oh, no. No, I agree. I'm just saying, like, at least there's a baseline there that is acceptable I guess to market it as a kid's movie but still have that sort of adult humor that kind of flies over the kids heads that's not anything new I would like it if they ratcheted it up a bit on that one but eh, we'll see and lastly and don't worry
1: folks if you uh, I know we're diving more into outside of video games and the comic book stuff which actually I'm liking here Uh, this is our last story coming out of comic-con for this week there should be plenty more to be able to talk to talk about next week But this one's talking about the next Deadpool movie, where they had a trailer that came out at Comic-Con that was very impressive. We saw secondhand footage that was posted to YouTube that was recorded from a video camera of some sort uh, and leaked onto YouTube. I thought
0: it looks like a lot of fun. I I think this is all shaping up to be what a Deadpool movie is supposed to be. Um, First and foremost, it definitely is putting its R rating to good use and we're really glad that they got it because if this had come out as another PG-13 action movie I think it would have been terrible because Deadpool that character you cannot do that character justice and stay within the confines of a PG-13 rating it just will not happen Um, and so the leaked footage that we saw the trailer was definitely an r-rated trailer this is probably not one that you'll see at the beginning of you know any of your other like ant man or something i'm sure yeah. they won't be playing it there cause if, they they sh- were, if you see this trailer in the movie theaters it's going to be red band and that's if you see it yeah it has to be red band. oh absolutely yeah um yeah they're dropping f-bombs and all sorts of things in the trailer so very violent are, very gory so you already know this movie is going to be great but no, I'm actually really impressed with it. And I know that for some reason, Ryan Reynolds is kind of a contentious topic with some people. Some people don't like him. I actually do. I like him. I just think that the roles he's been in for Heroes has not
1: suited him well. He was not good as Green Lantern.
0: Well, um, no. No, you're right. Um, I will go ahead and say that he might have actually been one of the best parts of Blade Trinity, because that movie was kind of eh, Anyway. And he he tends to always bring that certain, like, brand of, like, dark, sarcastic humor to almost any role he's in to begin with, which is part of the reason why he's going to make a really great Deadpool. But I really liked him in that. I've actually liked him in almost everything I've seen him in. Was he in R.I.P.D.? I... Maybe. I skipped that one. I'll be <laughs> I think honest a lot, with you. Uh, Well, a lot of people did. <laughs> I, I did not watch that. Because that
1: was based off a of comic, too. Yeah. But he's been involved in a lot of comic book movies. I mean, you can tell he's actually... I think he's actually one of the few people that likes the source material. Yes. In addition to what he's doing. And you can tell, I, especially from this trailer, this movie suits him. This movie is... Deadpool is essentially Van Wilder with weapons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually. This, is, this yeah. is the perfect person for Deadpool. I I'm, I'm, the, the trailer looked like this is going to be a very fun, high-energy, action-packed Deadpool movie. The only thing I didn't see in the trailer, I'm sure they're going to have it in the movie, but I'm, I'm, at least I'm hoping they're going to have it in the movie, I'm, I'm betting they will, is him breaking the fourth wall. I didn't really see that in, in the leaked footage of the trailer Is any fourth wall remarks.
0: Mm, no, actually, you're right. Now that I think about it, I don't think there will. I'm sure there There has to be at least one in that movie. I'm sure it'll happen. That's his trademark. Yeah, that's got to happen. Um, do you think, and this might be my ignorance on this one, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but do, do you think we'll see Cable anywhere in there? Well, there's Colossus. There's Colossus.
1: And some character that has a really long name on um, uh, forgive me I don't read the Deadpool comics I know I have the death of Deadpool uh, that comic um, which doesn't mean anything because he's surprised coming back <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> that never happens and he's, he's even after he died he had comic book series <sighs> I don't see I don't foresee Cable being in the movie uh, who's making it? It, it it's it's Sony right it has to be Sony if Deadpool, if Colossus is in it it's not Marvel Studios
0: 20th Century Fox well it's Fox Yeah. It's 20th Century Fox yeah well, uh, because what they don't they still have the is Fox the one that has the X Men rights? Yeah, they have all the mutant rights. Oh. They have rights to all the mutants. Okay, well then that would explain Colossus.
1: Yeah, and I think Deadpool is is filtered in there because he's part of the Weapon X
0: storyline, which would include Wolverine. Well, because I mean he was in Wolverine, mm-hmm. which was a terrible depiction of Deadpool, by the way. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I don't think actually, it wasn't even accurate. He just had like random ass abilities that like There there are some things that I, I I don't didn't watch and I don't think most comic book fans want to talk about. I think those are some of those movies. Oh God, I think and see okay. This is the problem for me because it, i mean, well, first of all, if anybody that's listening to this has actually seen me in person, which I'm sure most of you have because most of our listener base is local. Our friends. Um Hi mom. I kinda really like Wolverine, partially because I have been called that before. That's your mutton shot. Several times. Yeah. So I kinda I kinda have like a connection to Logan in a way. I feel personally connected to him. So like Wolverine is like one of my favorite. You know he's X-Men. dead, right? They made him a woman. I don't wanna don't I don't no. That but didn't happen. Ha- Wolverine number one is gonna be a woman. I don't know. I this is this does not happen. This is like you they remember did the Thor. Everyone was okay. No, no. No. Okay. So, you remember it's that It's
1: like Weapon 22 or something like that. Do you remember that
0: time that you heard some rumors about there might have been a Fourth Indiana Jones movie that included aliens? Yeah. Yeah, that never happened. <laughs> Ever. That didn't exist. Uh, or Han
1: shooting first? That also did not happen. Han Han didn't shoot first. So, Guido shot first. Oh, goddamn it.
2: You did <laughs> it on purpose, didn't you? You son of a bitch. <laughs>
1: that never happened you're right Han never shot first no he fucking did confirmed by Shane Kowski. no no, July 12th 2011 2015 yeah the the 13th
0: no but you know what's great about that is that I have the ability to edit this podcast and that shit will never happen that would be unfortunate but no Han shot first and there's many reasons for that and we're not going to go into that right now, because otherwise you're going to get me off on like a 20-minute diatribe. You already admitted Guido shot that, first. First of all, it's not Guido, it's Guido. <laughs> I don't care. Then you don't <laughs> care about who shot first then. No, that. I don't, but you admitted that he did. No, he did not.
1: No. Nope. And if you edit it out, I'm totally posting it on our podcast that, that you admitted that and you
0: edited it out. God, you are such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, point being is that I, I, I begrudgingly disliked those like Wolverine origin movies because they just weren't that good, but I really wanted them to be because A, I really like Wolverine, and B, I actually really like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. I do too. So I wanted them to be good, and they kind of weren't. And I think that one was actually the same one that included not only shitty, not actually accurate Deadpool, but also shitty pretty badly miscast Gambit well Channing Tatum is taking his Gambit now Ah, yeah I know can we not talk about that because like you don't know
1: Channing Tatum's good he's a good actor
0: for fucking what
1: he was in like
0: Jupiter Ascending which is crap well that movie sucks
1: I understand that when you saw Magic Mike that you didn't like it as much as you thought you would because there wasn't enough
0: penis. But you know what? Channing Tatum isn't that cheap. You know, I'm pretty sure that like the argument for that movie was not that there wasn't enough penis. For you it was. Oh, of course. You know what? You're absolutely right. For Channing Tatum. How could I have forgotten that? How the fuck (laughs) is Channing Tatum going to be Gambit? Why wouldn't he be Gambit? Because he doesn't look fucking anything like Gambit. Who would you pick for Gambit? I don't know. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I just know that Channing Tatum is definitely fucking not it. No, you're right. Channing Tatum is not Gambit. He is, he is not a good casting choice for Gambit. I mean, at the very least, if you're going to stick close to what the character is designed hat. as, hmm. then you're going to want like a tall, like lanky... French-Canadian... French... Well, not French-Canadian. Like, like, Bayou French. You want, like, Southern French. But most people like, down there... Like, Orleans French. So
1: why don't they just hire someone out of, like... Uh, what's that show with uh, Anna Paquin where she gets naked a lot with
0: vampires? Uh, True Blood? Yes, True just Blood. Just hire someone out of True Blood. And call it a day. I mean, sure. Maybe. I mean, they've already been doing it. Right. But, I mean, point being is that you, you need someone that's going to fit the character. He does not fit that character. And also, I don't see... Channing Tatum pulling off like a uh, believable uh, Cajun accent at all. But oh, we don't know that yet. For fucking man. He was good in 21 Jump Street. It was an action
1: comedy. Uh, so is X-Men might be too. Fucking no. I mean, Deadpool is.
0: Ugh. Why are you defending Channing Tatum of all <laughs> fucking things? Because it irritates you. You're right, it does. It really does. <laughs> fucking whatever man Deadpool's gonna be awesome Channing Tatum can fucking fuck right off that's yeah. all I gotta say you'd like that
1: after watching Magic Mike wouldn't you
0: oh man if only I just <laughs> want his I want his strong arms around me
1: <laughs> for the record for being completely sarcastic Shane does not want Channing Tatum from mm. what I understand says you oh huh? so, okay fine <laughs> <laughs> alright we're gonna get the main topic today and our main topic today is Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum, and Girl. how much I love his sweet pectoral muscles. Oh God, those rippling abs, man! Oh my
0: God, I just want to put my. Face, I just want
1: to. I want a motorboat. What?
0: What are we talking about? I just want to like wash my t-shirts on his abs. <laughs> That's really all I, I want to do.
1: Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to say we're going to hell. Ugh. Because, I mean, it's not that bad. Um, Do they have Channing Tatum there? I, no, no. Oh, God damn no it. No Channing Tatum in hell. You, you only get your Channing Tatum if you go to heaven. Ugh. My wife thinks Channing Tatum would be a great gambit.
0: Yeah, gee, I wonder why. Uh, I have no clue. Yeah. Mm.
1: She got really excited about that. And the fact that Storm's going to be uh, have the Mohawk from the 80s. I mean, that's actually kind of cool. And, and X-Men Apocalypse. And uh, Apocalypse looks like Ivan Ooze from, from Power Rangers.
0: Mmm. I actually have not seen that. I'll, I'll I'll show you. He looks...
1: For for those who don't know, just look it up. Apocalypse from the next X-Men movie looks like Ivan Ooze from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie. Just, just, just look. They look exactly the same. I'm not sure that that's a good thing. But <laughs> no, anyway... anyway. On to the main topic. Yeah. Which, which is, is not Channing Tatum. We're going to be talking about... The old games versus new games debate. Which is more enjoyable? Which is better? And the evolution of what's been popular over the existence of gaming.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, we kind of wanted to touch on just sort of how uh, you know the the preferences and tastes of the the gaming populace have sort of changed over time, uh, as well as the style of games that are being made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if you look at you know, from from when gaming from the inception of video games until to now, uh, you know, there's been quite a shift, and of course, not only in just technology, that's sort of a given, but the style of games that we enjoy or that we prefer to play now are in many ways very different from what we used to have. So
1: let's open this up with the the new games versus old games debate. I'm gonna I'm going to open it up. You you seem to be more on the the side of New games. Modern gaming, I would have to say. I'm more the retro guy. I'm not saying you are you don't play retro games. But, I mean, you have a gaming rig. You play more modern games. Even though the modern games you play are very retro-stylized. Uh, I mean, in some cases, yeah. Now, in terms of... Okay. I do prefer the older games to newer games. And so, why is that? And, and this is something that we kind of wanted to bring up. Older games have more of a difficulty curve. They have more of a barrier to entry. They take longer for you to learn. But at the same point, they're simpler. And not just slightly simpler, like very simpler. I think it's interesting to point out that as time has gone on, as games have gotten more complex, especially on console gaming, that gaming in general has gotten very easier when it's had the opportunity to make you think harder than you've ever had to before. You have to think with the original Nintendo... No, t- screw it. Go back to the Atari, when you had a stick and a button, mm. and that's all you had. Now, I don't prefer the Atari games over Nintendo games, or over Super Nintendo games, but Nintendo, you look at like games like uh, Mario Brothers or Mega Man, it was just jump, shoot, move, or run and jump, and that's it. And those games, for some reason, are more difficult but are more inviting to come back and more challenging than anything that's really coming out of this generation on a consistent basis.
0: Um, Yeah, and I think that probably comes down to the easy-to-learn-but-difficult-to-master mantra. Mm -hmm. They kind of touch on both of those points where it is very easy to go back to and play again and again but it is incredibly difficult to actually master those Mm. games. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. Now, of course, I I think you'd probably be remiss if we didn't touch on the fact of why those games are difficult. I mean, you definitely do have to talk about that. Which, for the most part, as I'm I'm assuming you're going to agree, and if you Mm. don't, then feel free to interject, but for the most part... Older games like that, for like the Nintendo and Genesis and stuff like that, uh, were as difficult as they were because of the technical limitations of the hardware, they had to stretch out the gameplay time in some way, and because they couldn't put something like Skyrim on an NES cartridge, rather than breadth of experience, like you get... With open world games nowadays like GTA or Elder Scrolls or something like that your playability comes from the difficulty. The difficulty curve is so high on those older games to sort of in a way encourage you to continue playing it over and over again to get better at it which I would argue artificially mm-hmm. lengthens the play time for those games um, but I understand why they did it
1: and th- yeah, I'm going to have a slight disagreement with you in-, in terms of that, because there are big games for the Nintendo. You have Dragon Dragon Quest four, you have a- well Dragon Quest One through four, which still today, I mean it's not it's going to take you more than five hours to beat Dragon Quest. Mm-hmm. And that's, I wouldn't say acceptable, but that's something that happens in the modern gaming industry. Yeah. Um, so it's going to take you around 5 to 10 hours, depending how good you are at Dragon Quest, to beat it. And if you look at the original Final Fantasy, that'll take you 20 to 30 hours to beat. So it's not so much about length, because you had RPGs back then that had this length. The original Legend of Zelda took a while, too. That's something you need to think about as well. It's They had the space to do something within the limitations of the console. Mm-hmm. I think what a lot of people... The reason that things were difficult back then is you had an industry that was still adjusting to coming out of the arcade theory of thinking. And the arcade mentality was we we're going to make it hard because we want to eat your quarters. And if you want to if you want to spend less quarters, you're going to spend more quarters to learn how to be good. And you're gonna it's, it's you learn from your experiences and get better. And something that the NES and this is why Super Mario Bros was so revolutionary, is that by and large arcade games were meant to be brutally punishing Mm -hmm. to the point where they like it was an extremely short experience and it would be like a single screen adventure and it's just all about point collecting there's no real point in getting to the end you just try to get points i mean there are some games that were the exception but when they brought that to a console market like there were levels and each level progressed and there was an ending to each level and it was very structured, and not really many things on a console have ever done that before. Um, if you go back and play Super Mario Bros. right now, too, I will tell you, it's a fairly difficult game if you want to go 1-1 through 8-4 without taking a warp zone. It's a pretty difficult game. It took me by surprise. But that's the thing. It was more about the arcade mentality, and they are coming out of that. Uh, there were space limitations as well, especially in the more graphically intense games, They're the, mm. and there was the replayability. You have to think, Nintendo had a stranglehold over companies, so when you bought a game, they wanted you to still keep that game and keep replaying that game. They wanted to provide value for it because they only could release so many games per year. So they wanted you to remember that brand when their next game came out or it was just like from Konami or from Nintendo or from Capcom. You knew that when you bought that game, you'd have a lasting experience due to the difficulty. I think that was part of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, like, one example that always comes to mind for me, as far as that goes, is Ghosts and Goblins. Mm-hmm. Well, the that game can... just can suck my balls. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only is it brutally difficult, which, again, was because of the arcade, because for a time, I actually played that in an arcade. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, that sucked. A lot of quarters got eaten in that machine, but part of it was the arcade mentality. Yes, you're absolutely right. And then... The other part of it, I don't think had anything to do with the arcade, Mm -hmm. which is, you get to the end of that game, and then it's like, oh, uh, congratulations. Mm -hmm. If you want to really beat the game, you have to play through the whole fucking thing again. Mm -hmm. That part... And then beat the game with a certain weapon. Yeah, that, that part right there is the part that I was talking about as far as, like, artificially lengthening a game. Um, so I think it's kind of a combination of, of of both. So that's definitely something that's been lost over time as far as that difficulty level, I think. And, but that's something that some people enjoy.
1: Me me as an old school gamer, yeah. I, I, because it's pure gameplay. I think that when you talk about limitations, it was more limitations of doing the games people wanted to do while telling a story. Because not many people back then were really interested in telling a story. Hmm. I don't think you really got the whole entire telling a story cinematic experience until they, I want to say, forgive me for not knowing the exact game that really broke through with that. Mm. But I think Mist did a lot to bring forth that story can be important in video games uh, and tell an engrossing story. And another game that doesn't get as much credit because Final Fantasy VII gets a lot more of it is Final Fantasy VI, mm. which if you sit down and play it, it tells a story in a very cinematic aspect. But Final Fantasy VII did it, of course, with CG movies. Yeah. Which is really where games started really breaking into, can we tell a story in addition to, can we show a game? And I'm sure there's plenty more examples on the PC side of the house where story and gameplay started melding.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to remember when Mist came out because I feel like that was right around... It was when CDs. It was like 92? I'll say, isn't that... 93? That was around the SNES era, right? It wasn't the SNES. Because so, I still had like a, a, an early Apple computer. Yeah. When that so, thing So... Because one of the other things that came to mind for me is that I think the Super Nintendo definitely took a big step in that direction. Because like, I mean, if you compare something like Mario Brothers to Super Mario World, as mm-hmm. far as storytelling goes, like in-game, mm-hmm. that's a pretty big step. I think. I mean, I mean, you're also looking at, like, Mario 3. I think it was sort of a progression, right? Mm-hmm. Like, from the, f- the first three, there's definitely a progression and an increase in the amount of storytelling, but then when you hit that new generation with Super Nintendo, the Super Mario World, that included a lot, and I know that there are other examples, but, like, up until that point, a lot of your story or your background lore for games honestly came from your instruction manual. Yeah. So, mostly because they kind of couldn't fit it in the game. Um, or
1: they didn't feel like it was important to include it in the game. Right, the, the, right. Because I think you look at back then, like I said, part of the game designers' mentality back then was all they knew was arcades. Yeah. That was it. So, all they knew was gameplay. Like, there were no cinematic cutscenes. There was no... And that's like, I go back to Final Fantasy VI. That's one of the examples of, at least on a console or RPG-wise... Is when, like, uh, Celeste is in the Opera House, Mm. the Opera House scene. You have, the only thing you can do is really choose the next line to sing in the Opera House, and the entire thing is acted out. I can't really think of an RPG before that that had that, or just a game before that, that had that lengthened of a period where the game completely took over and was trying to tell a narrative in something that really had nothing to do with the actual gameplay. Hmm. And yeah. I think that that's one of those really breaking parts of games that Final Fantasy VI fans understand and RPG fans understand. But and it's understandably, I'm not saying that everyone needs to go out and play this game just for that, but it's something that the game gaming public at large doesn't see where that transition started happening. And yeah, it did start happening in the Super Nintendo era. That being said, that's probably a reason why a lot of these newer games have gotten easier, why they hold you by the hand. Because I think most of the gaming market... First of all, it's easier to streamline a product that has a lower barrier to entry. Yeah. And in the gaming market, it costs a lot more to make games, so you need a lot more funds to make your games. And a lot more people are expecting a narrative that will keep them engaged. In order to have a narrative that keeps them engaged, if it's too hard to advance the next part of the story, people are going to become disinterested not care about the story people are playing the game to experience the story, they're not going to want to completely get bashed over the head by the same enemy because they don't want to know what its exact patterns are to perfect it.
0: I mean, that's... yeah. I mean, that's a big reason why I play a lot of my games on just, like, easy. Because I am more interested in experiencing the story of the game than conquering some sort of difficulty level. Mm -hmm. It depends on the type of game, too. I mean, some games... Even more modern games are built with that specifically in mind, like uh, Super Meat Boy, for example. Mm-hmm. Like that game is hard as balls, and and but it was built that way from the ground up. And one or, of the uh, more the Binding of Isaac, or that, yeah, that's another great example. And then something that sort of crosses over from the 2D realm into more modern 3D, but I think is a reason that a lot of the hardcore fan base loves it so much is it keeps that same mentality that a lot of those older games had, which is the Dark Souls series. Mm-hmm. Demon Souls and Dark Souls and more recently Bloodborne um, emphasizes recognizing enemy patterns over focusing
1: right. on a, an entire narrative.
0: It's, it's more focused on the actual gameplay elements where you need to memorize boss patterns and get just good at the game itself and the mechanics that are involved in the game and the story and the lore are there but they really take a back seat to the actual gameplay well look
1: at how many people love The Last of Us Mm -hmm. The Last of Us wasn't renowned for it's gameplay no and that got Mm -hmm. so many Game of the Year awards and everyone was like you have to play this game it wasn't known as the best playing game of all time it wasn't known for being fun to like really play no. It was known for being a, an extraordinarily written game and how well it told its story. I still need to pick that up just to experience it. Yeah, so do I. Uh, but And that's why I know I've talked about Shadow of the Colossus because I think a game like Shadow of the Colossus did it exactly how you want to do it. It's, it's the melding of the two theories of thought. Right. It wasn't a game that was easy to conquer, but every no. single time you... Did something in it. You beat a colossus. It, it it told a story that wasn't exactly being told. You saw what was going on. The plot was being unfolded, and there was no real storytelling being done other than you need to kill more colossi. Um, it's it's brilliant. The gameplay is good and everything. It's the the perfect melding. Why I think it's one of the best games ever made.
0: But you don't really see a lot of that, and you didn't see a lot of that then either. But no, I think that game yeah. like had just enough storytelling in it. To make it compelling, but I think it struck... I almost want to say that I think it struck the same sort of balance that the Dark Souls games do, where I think there's just enough storytelling to keep it interesting and compelling, but I think the focus is more on the gameplay. And I think that's it benefits that game greatly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I you get those.
1: Just get to the end, play that game to the end, and you'll, you'll have something extremely special. But... All that talk, and that's why I, I still maintain that. And from a gameplay perspective, the older games are better. And I think that's why we're having a little bit of a retro renaissance in the indie scene, and that's why big companies have haven't ignored it. They've seen that the retro renaissance is going on, and they've also brought out their older games and have retro style games themselves.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I'm I'm not always the the optimist, but. I, I would have to say that I think we're in a pretty good place like as far as the gaming scene goes, where right now we're getting a really good balance of of both. I think the indie scene has been supplying us with not only with a lot of more retro-inspired games where the focus is more on the mechanics and the gameplay, but also a lot of the very heavy... Story based games, where, like for instance, and this one I've heard a number of people, and it might actually have been you, I don't know, didn't really like it. But uh, things like Dear Esther,
1: I hated Dear Esther.
0: Yeah, I thought that was you. It's not a game. It, well, okay, it it changes what the definition of a game might be because you're not you're not playing it so much as you're experiencing. It's an it. experience. It's not a game. I mean, that depends on what your definition of a game is. Not that. Okay. <laughs> well, for you, that's fine. But point being is that I think we have... I've seen tech demos more involved than that. I mean, I liked the story that it told. If
1: you can, if you have to... I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. You, you're wandering around, you get to the end, and it's like... Blah.
0: Okay, maybe a better example would be the vanishing of Ethan Carter. That was actually a pretty good game where I think it struck a better balance between being just a walk to the next story thing, but also had actual like gameplay puzzle elements involved mm. um, I enjoyed that one too, but those are examples of things that are on like one polar opposite of the spectrum as things like super meat boy or binding of isaac or things like that where those are purely gameplay with very little story so we have both ends of the spectrum and then pretty much everything in between and a lot of that's coming out of the indie scene and we're very grateful for that and as you mentioned a lot of the big publishers have definitely taken notice of that fact and have picked up on these things um, which is great, but
1: it's not the bread and butter. The bread and butter is still your your Call of Duty. Sure, um, I mean yeah. And the ironic thing about all this is, as games, the games that are considered to be better are nowadays are, are the more story driven games. Um, the best selling games that people people prefer are games like Call of Duty or the first person shooters, and they do that to play online. If you play online, that's what strictly gameplay. That's the whole gameplay. It is, yeah. And those are the ones
0: that get mocked by gamers at large, which is somewhat ironic. I suppose you could make that argument. I think it's just that I suppose it's the the stigma that has been created around it, and and that in addition to perhaps the oversaturation of those particular franchises in general. I mean, you wouldn't see at least I haven't. I haven't seen yeah. anybody. Listen, I haven't seen anybody come out and be like, oh man. Counter-Strike, what bullshit is that game? But we like, we talk about oversaturation of, of Call of Duty. Yeah. And I think that's...
1: I agree, there's, there's too much of it. It's a yearly, yearly release, and then yeah. that flag's been thrown out on Madden and every sports game and, and Assassin's Creed. But what we need to think about is, look at the early NES days, right? So you had Mario Brothers, that by 1991, the game was released to the public in 1985. By 1991, it technically had four main games. One of which we didn't get here in the States. We had Final Fantasy. <laughs> I did this early in the you podcast. Just really, too.
0: You just really want to talk about yeah, Final yeah, Fantasy. Of I do. You
1: had Super Mario Bros., Super Mario Bros. 2, which the United States didn't get. Doki Doki right. Panic, Super Mario Bros. 2 USA, and Super Mario Bros. 3. All four of those came out before 1991. You're talking about six years, four games.
0: Okay. That's pretty repetitive. You have Mega Man. You have the Mega Man series. Would you not make the argument that there were significant differences and advancements in each one of those titles? In which ones? Mario. Oh, absolutely there were. Would you also make that same argument for every single yearly introduction of... Mega Man? Call of Duty. Call of Duty? Yes. Because that's that's the comparison you're drawing. And I, and I, I, yeah, that's, that's a that's an easy
1: thing to say. I mean, that is an easy thing to say. And this, Yeah, I know I'm defi- um, defending modern games right now. I don't know why, and defending Call of Duty, but it's one of those <laughs> things um, where I've had to. I have had to look at the Madden franchise, where if I took Madden when it was first released on PlayStation Two, uh, its initial release on PlayStation Two, and you compare that to the last release on PlayStation Two, and you compare it to right in the middle versus that on the PlayStation Two, they're completely different games. They may play the same, you may know how they are. Um, but they have different modes, different setups. Uh, they, they, they play differently. Uh, they control, may control the same, but there's different ways to manipulate the AI or manipulate your, uh, your opponent. And when it comes to Call of Duty, like you have Black Ops and you have Modern Warfare and you have Advanced Warfare, so there are different control schemes, even though, yes, it's ultimately the same. But if you take the first Call of Duty, compare it to Modern Warfare, compare it to Black Ops 2, and compare it to Advanced Warfare, there's enough of a difference where they're completely different experiences. It's just when you release it year after year after year, it's what they're that what a lot of people are afraid with with the uh, Dark Souls series is the uh, theory of diminishing returns. Yes. Is yes. As much improvements you're going to make every year if you keep it the the core generally the same, it's going to feel the same every year. But if you go if you keep releasing the game year after year after year and you go like five years apart, take the game that's released
0: five years later. And the game that was released at first, and you're gonna have a wildly different game. But if you're releasing them on such a regular basis like that, does that comparison actually matter? No, and that's what happened with the Mega Man games 1 through 6.
1: And that's what happened with the Mega Man X games. But those don't get nearly slammed as much as Call of Duty. And that's the funny thing the same crowd, I mean, the, the same crowd that loves these Mega Man games and wants mm-hmm. a new Mega Man game is the same crowd that'll turn around and say Call of Duty is shit. When that's what Mega Man stood for, I mean, you have to think, if you go back, like, it, by 1995, you have to think, Mega Man came out in, what, 1987 or something like that? Mm-hmm. 87, 88? By 1995, they had come out with 10 Mega Man games to include the X-Series. 10. That's less than 10 years. They came out with 10 games. On consoles. Yeah. It's not like Call of Duty that's like, okay, if you can't include the portables, because you include the portables, that was... I don't know if Mega Man 5 was released before then in the portal, but they had at least three Mega Man on the Game Boy. So you're talking 13. That's an insane amount of games. And you have people saying, we want more Mega Man. We want more Mega Man. And then if you talk to those same people that love Mega Man, you say Call of Duty, like, recycled garbage comes out every year. <clears throat>
0: Give me a fucking break. I mean, that's true, but I think it's all it's all relative. Like, I mean, it's just because Call of Duty is in the current collective consciousness. Like, if you, if you wait long enough... Listen, I I bet you anything, if for some reason they stopped making Call of Duty for like five years, people would be clamoring for a new one. No, not it would take longer than that. It's already burnt. It's it's it, the burnout would take longer. I mean, okay, fine, it's, sure, longer. But yeah. point being is that given enough time, yeah, where's Call of Duty? Everyone's going to be like, oh, man, I remember that franchise that I used to love. I totally want another mm-hmm. Call of Duty It would take some time. It's yeah, the so same right.
1: thing with Mega Man. Like, uh, Look I, how long it took for Mega Man. Sure, exactly. It took a long time for Mega Man.
0: Yeah, so I think it's just the fact that Call of Duty is just current right now, and that's why everybody <laughs> picks that to shit on, where you're making a perfectly valid point with Mega Man, and I agree. Um, it's just that that's old enough now that people don't really think about it, I guess. No. But yeah, so and then, so apart from just you know the differences with the difficulty mm-hmm. levels, um, something at least I wanted to touch on a little bit too was like some of the styles of games mm-hmm. that have uh, kind of come and gone as time goes on. Well, the arcade arcade style. Let's start with what the
1: very original, going back to the seventies. Hmm. Uh, the arcade style of gaming. is is pretty much gone, and that's what we all started out with. Very, very difficult games. Mm. I mean, it's still around, because it's kind of existing in the mobile market, but nowhere near to what it was back then.
0: Yeah, it's not really the same. I mean, you still have a... I mean, from what I can tell, you still have a pretty pretty thriving shmup market, right? Like, I mean, mostly from Japan. Japan.
1: I wouldn't call it thriving. I I, I mean,
0: it it still exists. It's there. Everything exists within its own within itself, right? I mean, I still, I mean, just, and I'm not even, I say, I'm not even, like, a huge schmup fan anyway, but, like, mm-hmm. I still see quite a number of them. But shmups have
1: always been niche. They've always been niche. Even when, like, a lot of shmups were coming out for the Genesis and TurboGrafx-16 and to a lesser extent the Sega Saturn, it, they were niche. They've always been on, on, on their own thing. They've never been mainstream, but the arcade was very mainstream. But Pac-Man, Space Invaders, Pong, games that I mean, there you go. Space Invaders, Galaga, Galaxian, were were very popular shooters back in the day. That that was all that there was. It was spaceship shooters for a couple of years, and they, they were the arcade experiences were. It was extremely brutal. Mm. They let you know it, and they sucked your quarters out. Yep. Um, and then I mean, you started making games later, and they like Pac-Man, which wasn't a spaceship shooter, it was just a very original idea that people loved, but then again, it was very, very, very difficult. Donkey Kong is one of the first examples of platforming, but it was in the arcade, single screen, very, very, very difficult. Um, And that's that's a lot of what you got, but during that time, you had the PC gaming market, which is something you may know more about, where you started having games like King's Quest and Space Quest. Um, When those started coming out, the point-and-click adventures, and that's... PC, and even then, PC consoles and arcades were on very different trajectories.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, And I think that's kind of, in a large part, that's where PC kind of was picking up where the arcade and console market were sort of leaving off. So for quite a while, um, you know, that that dichotomy between gameplay-focused Uh, titles and story-focused titles, that's really where the split was for quite a while, where a lot of your story-heavy games ended up on your personal computer. But they are still hard as balls. Well, in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, that was more like King's Quest where if you didn't happen to pick up an item at the beginning of the game, you'd get to the end of the game and it would tell you, oh, sorry you can't finish this game because fuck you. Yeah. Um, So that's a different kind of difficulty. That's not so much skill-based, really. But um, but yeah, so for a long time, the point-and-click adventure market was pretty huge on PC, partially for a lot of the reasons that the games on consoles were as popular as they were, or the style of games, I should say, because that's, at the time, I think what a lot of the hardware... More memory. ...could handle. But as time went on and, and the technology... Uh, you know, increased, and we started going into the 3D space mm-hmm. and everything like that. The the adventure game, as we knew it, just died, just straight up died. Well, there, there's a watershed moment, I think, for each individual type
1: of game. For the arcade game, the single screen make it extremely difficult uh, for the game player uh, until they develop enough skill to get a high score. That was killed by Super Mario Brothers in the platform, the console platformer, mm-hmm. and and games like Legend of Zelda, the console adventure game. Which, you know, you think of adventure, you think point-and-click adventure or, or something else. Because yeah. that was the PC adventure game. Yeah. Whereas Zelda was more of an adventure game. So that was the watershed moment for arcade games when arcade games started to slowly die. And it was the Super Mario Brothers and games like Legend of Zelda, Metroid. The games that expanded out and made the game something you couldn't possibly play in an arcade, or someone wanted to, it was something you could only experience at home. Right. And that's when things become came cheaper. What do you think was mostly the watershed moment for adventure games? Because adventure games they started in the early '80s and they kept
0: going um, until Myst and like in Riven. Yeah, it was like. Yeah, it was around like mid nineties ish is really when they started to drop off, and like I said, I I personally think it was because of the transition to three D. The transition to the three D space I think really killed the adventure gaming market because. Grim Fandango tried to make a good effort out of it, and I and they did they did. Um, that was probably one of the last ones though, mm-hmm. really. Um. But by and large, I think moving into the three d space is what ended up destroying that market because people moved on to things like quake and stuff like that where that was a lot more engaging at the time and uh you know the two d pointing and clicking on things on the screen and solving puzzles kind of just became passe I guess so uh, you say like the
1: evolution of the pc gaming genre was mostly I think for, for most of the time, you started having your games like Ultima, Wizardry,
0: uh, King's Quest. Was, I mean, hell, if you want to go was, back was, far enough, you can go to text adventures. I mean, something like yeah. Zorg. Or Zork, rather. But, like Some of the biggest biggest
1: hits, uh, early PC gaming, that was your Ultimas. Your Wizardries, Yeah. Uh, your, King, your Sierra Adventure games. Right. Um, those were the big hits on the PCs. That was the big PC market. For, for console gaming, from our King games, then it became platformers. Mm-hmm. Platformers were in. Everyone was trying to get a platformer. That in fact that's pretty much all you could really get on the NES. When you really think about it that the g- delivers a good quality experience is,
0: is platformers or platformers with guns or maybe platformers with swords in or some platform. cases. Yeah. But yeah, basically just platformers. <laughs> right. And I and I think a big part of that too is just the way that the mm-hmm. systems were built. I mean, mm-hmm. your control scheme on a console is made to do that yes whereas a pc you can you can but it sucks to play a platformer on a keyboard yeah it really does it's a different market yeah no not to say that there weren't because there were i mean there were things like um the original duke nukem was actually a 2d platformer Mm -hmm. as well as uh god i can't remember now captain something oh uh commander keen yes commander keen thank you that, that was another one um, that was a platform on the PC so it's not to say that it couldn't be done but by and large your PC market was things that were geared that would work more with a mouse and a keyboard mm-hmm. that's why point- and clicker adventure games and then things like Ultima. RTSs definitely RTSs but that's, that came later that, uh, a little bit later yeah that was that was like mid to late Man 90s. and conquer and, uh, War, uh, and Warcraft. And StarCraft, things Warcraft like that. WarCraft would mean well before StarCraft. Yes. StarCraft actually started as a WarCraft sequel, fun fact. Oh, yeah, that's um, believable. But, uh, but yeah, so the control scheme was definitely a big part of that. So the, the interesting thing is adventure games, like I said, kind of just completely died off because everybody was way too infatuated with the pretty graphics right. of 3D and stuff like that and more recently um, with things like Kickstarter and stuff like that we've seen um, a resurgence of those adventure games uh, and, it, and actually some of those even predated Kickstarter uh, it's kind of been it's been ebbing and flowing it's one, it's one of those things that kind of like everyone's like oh hey remember those adventure games and then they're like oh yeah I remember those great I'm done for now and then it goes away for a while and then comes back and uh, but I think right now we've been seeing quite a number of them, and you could probably make the argument that, by and large, the Telltale games are... W- they've, re- they've brought back the adventure game. Yeah, they're more or less the evolution of the adventure game mm-hmm. genre because they're not as annoyingly particular as something like King's Quest, where it's like, oh, you have to click this like little two-pixel-by-two-pixel two mm-hmm. thing or you're going to miss it. But they still kind of have the spirit of those games. I
1: can tell you really love your adventure games. How, I mean, how can you, how can you tell me <laughs> <it? laughs> you, you
0: love your adventure games. Which is funny because I actually haven't played like a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but the ones that I have played I do enjoy. I will mm-hmm. say that a lot of the old ones still frustrate the shit out of me. You, you ha- What you have for adventure games is I have for shmups. Yeah, why? Why? Because you like them, but you hate them at the same time? No, I, well, that's not
1: it. I, I love <laughs> shmups, yeah. but I mean they're. I play many things other than shmups. Mm-hmm. And I play. And I play more things other than shmups. But I, I, if if there's one thing I love the most, is a good shmup. And that's a straight out of the arcade kind of.
2: Yeah.
0: kind of game. I think for me, it's just because of the storytelling. Like I really, that was one of the first genres of games that was really focused around just telling a good story. And for me, mm-hmm. I really appreciated that. So. I could and PC gaming has always had the more storytelling
1: things. I mean even go back yeah. and they've had strategy games. They they've they've been more about strategy. You could say adventure games, yeah, you know, they had their heyday. But then they got replaced by uh kinda like your first person RPGs were never really big. Like the Might and Magics were, were decently big. They they had their yeah. followings. Um, but they got replaced by RTSs uh, like Command & Conquer, like Warcraft. For those of you who don't remember, Command and & Conquer and Warcraft were the things that console gamers played on PCs. Yeah. Those were the games console it brought console gamers over. Uh, the other games that I can remember back in the day that weren't extraordinarily popular but were enough like strategy were games like um, Heroes of Might and Magic. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty big deal. But the biggest deal for PC gamers that nowadays... Uh, is the lineage. And no one knew it would be that big would be the first-person shooter. And yeah. It's still better on PC, by far. But the first-person shooter originated on PCs and, man, it, it changed the landscape for
0: PCs. Yeah, definitely. You know, when things like... Uh there was actually one that was prior to Wolfenstein, and for the life of me, I can't remember. I know what you're
1: talking about. It
0: wasn't it wasn't anything
1: to talk about. Though. No. It was made by
0: it was still made by id. Yeah, yeah. There was one, but I mean, whatever. Basically, it Wolfenstein, wasn't a shooter. It was like a first person thing. thing. Yeah. yeah, but Wolfenstein was really like the first one, and then Doom basically exploded it, and then it kind of just went from there. But yeah, first person shooter has been the the bastion of PC for since its inception, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of like modern console gamers will probably balk at that notion because they're like, well, I play with twin sticks on my Xbox One, and no. it's clearly awesome. No, WASD mouse, but mouse and it. keyboard <laughs> will always be better for first person. WASD mouse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mean, you know, but that, that that's the thing though about PCs is ever since Doom came
1: out, the market by by your average PC gamer has been dominated by first person shooters. There hasn't been really any sort of evolution in in terms of what the most popular gaming genre has been for the market. It's at large.
0: been yeah, I mean for PC, I think it's generally been first person shooters and strategy, strategy, and. I would make an argument for RPG. Sim. I I would say Sim before RPG.
1: Sim City, The Sims, Civilization.
0: That's true. That's true. But, I mean... Okay, maybe... Let me be more specific. Mm -hmm. CRPGs in particular. And by that, I mean things like Ultima or like the Elder Scrolls. Things like Mm -hmm. that. Those were all very big on PC. Um... Things like your party-based RPGs and JRPGs, those are almost exclusively console for a very long mm-hmm. time. Um, and you didn't really see anything like that they on PC. They still relatively are. And for the, yeah, for the most part, they are. Um, and they're not extinct. Right. Um, but like your first-person RPGs and, to a certain extent, your isometric RPGs were also mostly PC for quite a long time. So, but again I think a lot of that just comes down to the medium It's those are mm-hmm. things that make more sense to control I mean on the consoles you had the platformers and then going right. into the Super Nintendo era
1: you still had a lot of platformers the Super Nintendo Sega Genesis era 60 minute era that was the era era of mascots yeah. mascots platformers yeah. and then you had the arcade resurgence and 2D fighter resurgence after Street Fighter 2 then every you had a man, fighters were all over the place just all over the place Yeah. They were were worse than first-person shooters are now because the quality was never at the same level. Like, now you could say, like, a first-person shooter, your run-of-the-mill first-person shooter, is is almost up there with your Call of Duties and Battlefields. But there was, like, you had Mortal Kombat 2. I mean, Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. And the closest thing you had to that were the SNK games. But the SNK games, because the only way you could practice them at home is if you got, like, the $600 Neo Geo with the $200 (laughs) game. Yeah, they never really caught on, and so you had to deal with crap like Primal Rage, or or
0: Clay Fighter, or Clay Fighter, but or Balls with or, a Z, or Street Fighter the movie, the the movie the game,
1: <laughs> the movie the game, <laughs> um those terrible excuses. You just had terrible terrible games, uh that were that were calling themselves fighters. Um, and they're all over the place. And of course there was the mascot time period too, and you had games like Bubsy, which mm-hmm. was awful, Arrow or the Acrobat, Gex. Or Gex, but Gex was okay. Gex I mean, wasn't you, had, you had some pretty games. You had some pretty good games come out of that, like Rayman, Gex, God, Rocket Knight Adventures. Say, do you do you want to include Earthworm Jim in that too? You could. Yeah. I mean, you really could. Um, but then you got to you know, like the PlayStation era. I don't think like the thirty-two, sixty-four bit. Like you could say it was the three D platformer, but. There was so much going on during that time. RPGs had taken off. Survival horror had taken off. 3D platforming had taken off. There was more going on in that era where you couldn't pinpoint any one thing
0: and say, this is what gamers are playing. Well, I think a big part of that, too, was they were just trying to figure out how to properly utilize 3D. And I think that was one of the most beautiful
1: eras of gaming for it. I mean, it was very experimental. You go, you go back now and you play a lot of those games, you're like... Bleh. <laughs> this is garbage. Yeah. But um like Gran Turismo came out of that. Mm. Came out of that era which was wildly experimental and crazy when it came out. There's like oh look at all these cars and everything I can do to my vehicle in this in this in this game. And it was mind-blowing. Um Final Fantasy 7 came out which changed almost every gamer's console gamer's perspective on what the on what an RPG was. Mm. Yeah. Uh, love it or hate it and we've talked about this before, but It changed the way RPGs were viewed. And it brought a lot of RPG fans and brought a lot of RPGs out. You had Tekken and Virtua Fighter. uh, The evolution of the 2D Fighter. The 2D Fighter started dying off in that era because of those games. I mean, you still had the Street Fighter Alpha. But look, Street Fighter 3 came out to very little fanfare because by that time, people
0: were playing Tekken so much. And Soul Calibur. And a lot of those Namco fighters. Yeah, I remember that like mm-hmm. unnecessarily large virtual fighter cabinet that was at the arcade. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That thing was giant. <laughs> and I played that game I sucked at it just mm-hmm. like I suck at all to like, all like fighters, but I played it just because it was how cool it looked. Mm-hmm course you go back and look at that now and the original virtual fighter it's like these fighters are polygons yeah, stacked on top of each other
1: i have it for the saturn it's, it has not aged well
0: <laughs> um it's, but for, it's the, time, for, for the, the time for the time it was
1: it was incredible yeah and is this to go back like you yeah, had metal gear and that was that was a good game like you think of all the best games from that era and they're all in different genres yeah. and like you say yeah. what are the best games from that and you start listing them off you have, you have a 2D exploratory game like Castlevania Symphony Night you mm-hmm. have a stealth cinema based game like uh, Metal Gear Solid, you have Final Fantasy 7 you have Zelda The Ocarina of Time you have uh, Mario 64 you have wildly different experiences mm. GoldenEye yeah. um, and they're, they're, they're just all over the place and then by the time you get to the Playstation 2 era I can't think of anything defining either I mean, there's
0: a lot of good games, but that's when the first person shooter yeah, I say, I
1: started think, at the end of that era started coming out.
0: Yeah, I think past that point, it would be hard to pin down something that defines like a generation because, because everything got so diversified at that
1: point. Well, there was a good uh, 10 years from 1995 until the release of the Xbox 360, I would say, hmm. where you couldn't pinpoint the one genre that was that was driving sales in the industry. So once you get to the 360, what would you say? First-person, First-person shooters? shooters? Yeah. And open world games. Yeah. Grand Theft Auto 3 started that, but there weren't really a lot of copycats. Or copycats, there were enough note to say that that genre had really taken over. Yeah, at least on the
0: few, console games. It was like Crackdown. That but that was, one, was 360. But, well, right. I'm thinking and,
1: PS2 era when that thing came out.
0: Oh, Oh, okay, you mean for, like, three. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, Yeah. I don't know.
1: I mean, you sort of had your action platformers, like God of War, and those started just kind of slowly integrate themselves all over the place. I mean, that was very yeah. common. Or your third-person shooters, like action shooters, those were all over the place. Um, but even myself, I can't exactly pinpoint what was just, like, destroying the market
0: at that time. Uh, you know, one thing I'm glad to come back, though, mm-hmm. the roguelike. Okay, you want to talk about something that's actually being super oversaturated right now. It is being oversaturated right now. But I'm glad to see them back because they were gone for a long time. Yeah, they were. I could probably do with a little less of them right now, actually. But I I don't want to see them go away. 90% of the shit that's coming off of, like, Steam now is like, oh yeah, it's this thing and it also includes some, like, roguelike elements and stuff because that's become, like, a buzzword now.
1: Yeah, the stuff that's become a buzzword because I don't think a lot of people understand what they are probably uh, not when you, it's, it's supposed to be you go into a dungeon and you make it as far as you can you get your ass handed to you and maybe you gain some of the you get to keep some of the items you, you gain from your experience up there and guess what you gotta start from the beginning of the dungeon again motherfucker
0: yeah yeah. <laughs> you're level and, one and not all of the games that tout themselves as roguelike or roguelite which is also a term mm-hmm. um necessarily include that but yeah I think a lot of people are just playing off of that term to try to by the way Rogue Legacy is fantastic yes it that's is a very good game that's <laughs> I mean that's one that actually does that right for sure but uh just one more thing before we wrap
1: this up you remember light gun games yes I do I miss those do you really I do I I, I remember playing uh Point Blank in the arcade a lot I mean I know that they were never hugely popular at least uh, at home in the arcades, they kind of had their heyday for a little bit, but I do miss my light gun games, man. I mean, the heyday for consoles was duck up.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I guess part of that is because I just, like, very quickly figured out that I could cheese that by just pressing the gun up against the screen. But, yeah, that's the part that sucked. Well, that and didn't <laughs> help that the only thing in the
1: 16-bit era for light gun games was the Menacer and the Super Scope 6. Mm-hmm. And they were not... Good for, light gun games. No. It wasn't no. until the PlayStation had the gun con from Namco that it was any good, but even then, blah. But anyway, thank you for joining us today for Episode 7 of the Retro Hangover Podcast. This has been a pleasant day to do a recording. Uh, I'm Chris Colpleen here, uh, signing out.
0: And I am Shane Kosky, <clears throat> um, saying that I hope that none of you thought that we were going to come to any sort of actual conclusion on this discussion, because that was not the point.
1: (laughs) Well, I hope you all know that older games are better. That's the point.
0: There it is. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You you know, you're about to elongate this podcast even more. (laughs) It's it's over. All right. I see how it is. It's fine. Whatever. It's Mm -hmm. cool. (laughs) But at any rate, um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or uh, anything at all that you'd like to send our way... Mm -hmm. we would be more than happy to hear from you, and there are a couple of ways that you can do that. You can either reach us uh, by email at podcast at retrohangover.com, or you can reach out to us at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash retrohangover. Also, going to give a shout out to uh, Storm Unity.
1: They're another group that does a podcast here in Jacksonville. If you're listening to this, you'll like what they do. Go ahead and check their podcast out. Absolutely. All right, so that's been Retro Hangover Episode 7 on July twelfth, two 2015. Thank you for joining us. We hope to hear from you. Have a good week.